Uh, Steven. Hello. All right. So you have like a strong opinion on Elon Musk. First of all, um, <laughs> apparently it's been 10 months since we've done this. So cheers. Cheers, everyone. Cheers, oh, Cosimo. Yeah. All right, let's introduce Cosmo. He's fresh from Italy, literally fresh from Italy. When did you get back? Uh, Sunday. 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 How long were you there? For a month. There for the month. So he is the Cosmo de Medici. He is the uh, 18th century Italian banker who owns all of the NFTs. And what have you been uh, (laughs) neck deep in? Top shot. Uh, Yep, very deep in NBA Top Shot. Which everyone thinks is dead, but it's but it's not. not. It's constantly top ten. Yep. Tell us about NBA Top Shot. Starting with Top Shot. Yeah. Um, not? <laughs> okay. NBA Top Shot. Well, grab, today grab, they, grab the mic. Grab today, it. Oh, that's what's, oh, yeah. I have a yeah, you got to hold it. Holding yeah. the mic. <laughs> <laughs> uh, top Shot just announced they raised another two hundred fifty million today. Wow. Valuing them at six point seven billion. Hmm. Is that a Series um, B? Series A. What? 250 million Series A? What kind of market are we even in? I don't even understand yeah. it anymore. What's money? Uh, what we're in the roaring money? 20s. What is money? The roaring 20s. Um, and I checked out the platform because all you guys are so crazy about NFTs. Uh-huh. And I think what really drew me there was I saw a spreadsheet of a bunch of data and it just like, okay, I could do something with this. Let's let's play with the data. I like doing that. It's an excuse to get better at playing with the data. And uh, in doing it, I just playing with their platform. Number one, got addicted. I think they've built something that will be crazy addictive for people. So all they have mm-hmm. to do is get one uh, percent of the fans to buy a couple cards, and they're going to go fucking crazy and spend more money. It, it's basically gambling. They, you open packs and get all this value and all this stuff. So rare doesn't have that. There's no gambling component whatsoever. Because when you buy a bundle on SoRare, you know exactly what you're getting. Or you buy an individual card. Is your SoRare call going to be positive, bullish? Oh, yeah. I mean, what happens when you raise $650 million? Have you ever seen a $650 million raise go bust? I haven't, personally. I can't recall. Fair enough. Many. Uh, yeah, I mean, SoRare Stadium, that's my call. I'm like, SoRare Stadium is coming to Paris or Barcelona or, or fucking Singapore pretty soon. Like, whatever that is, it's going to be monstrous. That's okay. They're going to sponsor a team. They're going to take over the world. Like, how can you not? Like, the amount of marketing dollars they have and the number of hires that they're going to make and talent they're going to... Do you, need a, you, do you need a MetaMask wallet to get into yeah. SoRare? Do you need to, like, yeah, learn yeah. the whole uh, onboarding thing? You don't or do you need... Just- you you need a credit card. Okay, that's it. It's, yeah, it's a very basic. I just did it uh, a couple of days ago. That's good. Very basic, easy to do. Sign up, but it was a little weird in that they're doing this whole tutorial and they're just getting you straight into a, the game. Mm-hmm. You don't get like a really. Uh, there's no initial payoff. So I did both the experiences. I did so right to compare it with NBA Top Shot. You go in and you get this pack, and there's music, and you like open your pack and you get these things. And almost every pack is instant money value. You pay nine bucks and you just made fifty. Can right? you still get in on packs though? Like every new person gets a pack. Every new person gets right a pack. now. Okay, because the problem was like I remember when Nick and I were talking like nine months ago. Right. We couldn't get in on the drops. 
yeah, it was like there was way too much demand yeah. and, and uh, their technology couldn't, couldn't handle the, the platform. But what we were talking about earlier was like, <clears throat> this was the introduction to cr- not just NFTs, but the entire crypto versus a whole for like 80% of the market that currently is on OpenSea and top. Personally, personally divided God. about it all, right? Like, because right. like it onboards like probably like thousands, tens of thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands of its soccer into the, you know, into crypto, but it's on a centralized platform. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we talked about how like, you know, decentralization is going to be this equivalent of like privacy now where like people say they care about privacy, but they freely give all their information up and they actually don't care about privacy in their actions you know, in the words they care about it. And I don't think people are going to care about decentralization at all when it comes to like, you know, mainstream crypto apps until, I don't know, something happens, like maybe a blockchain goes down for eight hours and they can't get their money out. But there, I'm kind of conflicted because like more users is good because you have more nodes in the network. But I think the pain is too far. They won't realize the pain until too late. So they won't care about it. Like, Make sure you guzzle it. Yeah, I'll yeah. Guzzle, I'll guzzle up on this. <laughs> I feel like I, I feel like we need to like take a step back and like yeah, the take, stage here take me back, like, Stephen. All, our listeners are probably very confused right now. Like, yeah. what the hell is so right. rare? What? Yeah. Great. Oh yeah. Yeah. So what, it is. Stay, what happened? Set that stage. Yeah. So since last tipsy talk, basically the the world has gone to hell in a handbasket. Uh, ETH has gone to the moon, and, and people are now paying uh, millions of dollars for uh, clip art pictures of rocks on the on the internet and you know nfts have been the most exciting asset class of 2020 well 2021 i I want you to imagine that uh one of us at this table which will be none of us unless we were to play like some character is poking holes at that how the fuck is that possible that human beings are spending this ungodly amount of money on jpegs i just don't understand it like and it's hard for me to even play that character anymore because i'm so I'm so all in myself, but like, let's just try to even take ourselves back there and like work ourselves through the, the why of all of this. Yeah. Well, I I think like with, with, with most bubbles and this, this is a bubble, you know, not to say that it's not a revolutionary thing. Um, with most bubbles, there's a, you know, a promise of some massive future thing right that gets sort of like priced in all at once in a way that really can't be sustained and stuff kind of goes uh stuff kind of goes crazy um and you've got that combined with the fact that there's just like way too much money floating around in the world um and we, we already had people you know paying 100 grand for charizard cards before this so it's <laughs> that's not true like this came out of nowhere yeah. um yeah nfts are they're they're really fun and they're really accessible for people you know is the fun component like critical to this whole thing? The community component is obviously big, but fun, I don't think gets talked about very often. Oh yeah. I mean, the f- fun is everything. Like I've yeah. been in crypto forever and it's, it's not that fun. You're dry. Like, you know, you yeah. trade, trade shit coins and you, you watch your wallet go up and it's like, woo. But it's, it's not the same as like, you know, paying thousands of dollars for pictures of rocks and everybody's <laughs> doing it on Twitter and bragging about it and, you know somebody's going to remember that time you, you for like $10,000 you ran through a parking lot at a golf course <laughs> <clears throat> to go home and buy a Mona Lisa. I didn't buy a Mona Lisa. I Which bought one did you a, get? Uh, 
I bought a uh, what did I you buy? bought a curio card just to be clear. Yeah, curio yeah. card. I just don't remember which one it was. Which incidentally was not one of my better investments. No, hold it's on. The cruise yet? <laughs> yet. It's, it's all about old. yet. Give it a second. It's it's we have an auction at Christie's coming in ten days. It's true. Let's see. Sell the news, boys. Yeah, I'm not. Is it too late? Is it too late? I think that's what a lot of people are asking. Is it everybody's too late? asking that? Is it too late because? Obviously, a lot of generational wealth has been created out of these NFTs, seemingly uh, out of nowhere. So, like, uh, people come from all walks of life. You know, like, there could be a rich person standing next to a poor person, but they own the same NFT. These, these NFTs explode in value. And now uh, somebody comes from no money whatsoever and is now in a, in a world where they have life-changing money. And we're watching these conversations Every single day on Discord. In real time. It's phenomenal. Did that happen though? I don't well, know well, about just, this. Just so people have Ooh. an idea of the scale here. I mean, we're, we're talking about like CryptoPunks you could, you could buy a year ago for, for hundreds of dollars. And I think one sold for 15 million this year, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, the floor the, is like 300 grand. Yeah, the cheapest one as we talk right now, I think is probably about $350,000. Um, so yeah, stuff has gone pretty ham. Uh, we saw... You know, collections come out of nowhere, uh, artists creating things, you know, generative art and stuff going from hundreds of dollars to, to millions of dollars and just like under two months. I mean, it, it was pretty wild. So is it too late? You know, like for somebody who wants to get involved, is it too it late? Totally for, depends on your whole time. Yeah. So one, one aspect of that is like in the current cycle, which is this current NFT market. And the other is like as a whole. And so like as a whole, I think no question the level of like, I mean, all I think about every time I want to say the word early is that meme that Steven sent one time, like where the guy is just bleeding from his eyes. We're so early. We're so early. We'll be saying that 10 years from now. <laughs> and we're always going to be early, like in so many ways. But like in this uh, cycle, like we could be late. Like you could, you could, you could en enter now and probably lose a lot of money if you got out too early i mean right? I, don't, I don't think so i think with where we're at in the crypto bubble right now i mean the scary thing about nfts is like i don't even think we hit any retail yet really I these mean, are mostly crypto natives buying these nfts is what you think yeah and, like and I, the top I, shot community when, when i poll most people around me like very few people own nfts and everybody talks to me about nfts the way they talk to me about bitcoin in 2013 i pull my family all the time and it's still no one so, so we're, we're still really early. I mean, th I think that was like a test pump we had this summer. I don't know how long things are going to train. I was amazed. For, I was, I was back in Sacramento this past weekend and I told my dad about it and he had zero. I was actually like mind blowing at his level of just like getting it. Like he was just like, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> like collectibles that are digital. And they have value because I say they have value. It's just like the baseball cards and the and the and the football cards used to collect, right? He's advanced. Except, no, the he's that he, he gets that? yeah. I can't believe he got it. And he was just like watching. I swear to God, we went to my. Wait, so how many do you want to buy? <laughs> we went to my brother's housewarming party, and this is ridiculous. But like the moment, this is this is the level. I just want to paint a picture just for all of you, like. I'm sure you're all like at a degen level beyond even me. I took my laptop with me in the car because <laughs> the claylings were flying. <laughs> and I wanted to get the UFO hat Pump your bags, on dude. my clayling. 
I was watching it. I was mobile hotspotting it to my laptop because I don't want to do it. Hopefully know. with your hardware wallet. Yeah. Well, no. Mm, yes. Hold on. We'll go back there. <laughs> and watching it the whole way to the, to, to the place when we arrived at the house and I'm, you know, Persian culture, like walk in, say hello, like really big deal. Like hug everyone, kiss everyone. No, I went to the corner of the house and literally sat there by myself, just like watching and buying and waiting for the right time to buy. I swear to God. And everyone was like, where's Armand? Where's Armand? Where's Armand? And I was like, I'm busy. I can't right now. Sorry, I'm, I'm buying. Yeah. <laughs> I'm literally, and my dad was like, oh, it's like those animation clay things. I saw those on TV back in the day. Is it making like a comeback, but in like a digital format on the internet? And I was like, yes, yes. Point, point being like, this is at a level where I brought my laptop to a house party yeah, you're a true to DJ. make my trades. Yeah. I mean, I think you could uh, replace your word of fun with like significance. And I think that is what brings a whole new level to this game. Like we, we all been a little Tony Robbins at points and like he talks about significance is one of the six human needs and people kind of optimize towards significance, whether, you know, in some ways good in some ways bad. But like if you held... Um, I don't know what's a popular uh, like a de Gaulle like in your house you couldn't show it off to the world only people who were in your home could could see it and you kind of bought it for yourself but like these you know early projects were very uh, adaptable to like social media where you could show off your punk or your ape and you got to get a little significance from it where you couldn't with with any kind of traditional art. And like when you add on all the layers that NFTs give, which is like this 24-7 liquid marketplace for your art, I think one of the best examples is, oh man, I can't believe I'm going to, Damien Hurst, Mm -hmm. he put out 10,000 pieces of his like classic dot paintings. And he said, you could buy in for 2,000 bucks and you could either hold the physical painting or you could burn the physical painting and get the NFT. Well, the NFT is now worth $22,000, and it's like such a perfect example of this That's classical artist. Price. Exactly. It's a floor price. And now you just introduced <laughs> yeah, yeah, it into an... <laughs> introduced He's the it. top 50 NFT, by the way. <clears throat> right. He introduced his physical art into a 24-7 <laughs> international marketplace where there's a mark-to-market constantly, which didn't exist. And my buddy, we all know him, he owns one, probably owns a few, and we asked him, like, why didn't you hold the physical? He's like, well, then I would have to introduce a broker, and it'll probably be six weeks to liquidity, and the broker's going to take a fee, and then I'm going to have to ship it. Open a exactly, open a gallery, and now he can just put his, you know, thing up within, and probably within an hour, exchange it for cat for ETH, and you know, so you know, I think it's interesting that you get significance, you get liquidity. And the, the, the real question is, what's the total market cap for this thing? And we talked about, like, is it 10x the current traditional art market cap or is it 100x? Because in traditional VC world, the only way you really disrupt is if the technology is at least 10 times at better. Least. And I think art with, like, a 24-7 global marketplace is clearly 10 times better. So I don't know. What are the total transaction volume for traditional art? Whatever that is, times 100 is probably the total transaction volume eventually. But yeah, if you're holding for one year, you could totally get roasted. If you're holding for 10, you're probably going to be, you know, loving your 10-year previous self. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, there's probably no better way to 
make like thirty or forty thousand dollars a month right now than by just like flipping like NFT mints. And I know that sounds ridiculous, but like it's it's, it's very doable if you know what you're doing and you want to just annoyingly hustle. You know, it's just the the demand for these things is so outstripping the supply, and they're they're mint they're all minting at prices that are you know very below like what they're what they're selling for like on the immediate market now that's not to say that after that they many of them don't go to zero because most <laughs> i'd say most of them at this point do um and it's probably not we, we we can't like lump all nfts together you know because it's, it's such a broad term a lot of what we're we've been talking about when we talk about nfts is this sort of like profile picture trend you yeah. know the avatar um, yeah which like you know the crypto punks i guess sort of started and then we had the board apes and then thousands of clones you know know, lazy lions and pudgy penguins and all sorts of alliterations and Mm -hmm. uh, there's obviously a huge demand for those because there's only you know seven eight thousand punks in circulation and there's a lot of people on the internet who want to put profile pics up so it made sense that these would come on but like the market has gotten very flooded by these these sort of profile picks, but like people are innovating, you know, and their projects are launching that are trying to give like additional utility to them and do creative things beyond just like, you know, sending out another clone. Right. So if, if you're, if you're buying like one of these kind of knockoff clone projects where it's just like insert animal and adjective right. and there's 10,000 of them and you mint the, you know, good luck probably still make money just mint whoring, honestly, but uh, long-term holds, like most of those are, yeah, probably yeah, I mean, going to zero. Paint a picture of like what NFTs will be like in day-to-day life, like from like, con- you know, like we take the long-term view of what NFTs are generally. I would like to, I would like to think about the future, but also the, to, the today, have you guys actually looked at um, the traditional art market prices? Um, I looked at, it was on Wikipedia, but like the, the highest priced uh, sales in the traditional art market are all like publicly available. And, um, you know, like the tradition, like the traditional art market has huge buyers, you know, like I think like the, the highest one was like half a billion dollars for a Da Vinci. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you have like the Picasso's and the Monet's and whatever below that. And, um, right now, the, like the highest price NFTs don't compare they're, they're like, they wouldn't mm-hmm. crack the top. Like, I don't know. I think the list I was looking at, like went down to you know, the top hundred or 500 or whatever. And, and the, 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 the top NFTs would not crack that list, but I, I imagine it's only a matter of time until they, until they would, yeah. because we're, we're literally just talking about art versus art, right? Well, like, it's, it's a very, um, scary market for most people. Like buying art sounds extremely logical and safe and tangible and like something that I can understand as, as any level of human being. You put something in my hand, it makes sense to me, it has value because other people are willing to buy it. But like this idea of what NFTs represent as a whole in the first place is wild to 99% of the population. Like, can we just speak to that for a second? Like, because the, the, the real thing here is like, there's no future where a crypto punk is worth as much as a Picasso if the majority of people are not willing to step into this market. I believe they will, no question, because that technology, this technology as a whole is being adopted at a rate that is basically exponential, faster than anything that has ever existed before 
Rao Paul was saying, even faster than the internet itself, right? right? Cryptocurrency. So I see that, I hear that, but like, what is stopping most people from like understanding that like this is art and there's demand and there's a fixed supply and there's value here? Well, can I just say that I think anyone would say that, well, a Picasso has value because it's a Picasso, right? Like, but how do you identify a Picasso in the digital world, in the NFT world? And I don't, I don't think you can. I think it's like, I don't think that any of us are equipped to be able to do that. But what I would say is that uh, in this world, the price almost validates future price in that like, okay, so a CryptoPunk might not be uh, a Picasso to your eyeballs, Mm -hmm. but if the price keeps going higher on a CryptoPunk up to the point where it trades at a Picasso level, then who is to say that it's not a Picasso? Because I don't think that even if we look at a Picasso, we would say, oh my gosh, this is like worth uh, half a billion dollars or whatever they're paying for it. True. I mean, you on on one of our calls said like, was it history, culture, and community were the three things that you were looking that. at? And so like, you know, if you look at CryptoPunks by your framework, it, history is one of the first, if not the first like NFT on Ethereum. It had a culture because it kind of represented like 90s cyberpunk, you know, culture and community. It's it certainly had it because it wasn't um, it wasn't invented to make money. It was actually given away for free. Anyone could have claimed as many as you wanted for free. It had no like uh, monetary incentives initially. It wasn't made for appreciation. It was just made for something cool. But it became that naturally. So like it, it hits all three of your criteria. Yeah, I, I think I got that from DC Investor. I, I didn't create that, but I think it, it does represent the fact that you were early to the Ethereum ecosystem, and that represents early ETH culture. Yeah, yeah I mean, the reason Picassos are, are valuable is because they represent this, you know, element of time they were in that was like, you know, like like the Mona Lisa is the Mona Lisa, you know, because it has this provenance attached to it. Right. And it's, it's not difficult to imagine in a world like 50 years from now where everybody's living almost entirely online and metaverse type environments. And like, it's perfectly normal for all art to be online. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And in that particular world, you look at crypto punks, right. They're sort of like the OG, We'll call them the OG profile pick on NFT on on Ethereum. We keep we keep doing this like archaeology thing now, where every month somebody digs up a new uh, NFT project that's like six month predates something. Curio, yeah. <laughs> please, the, the, Curio, please. The latest one is these uh, Twitter eggs. We won't get into that. Let's predate Curio by like two years. Um, but but in this world where like it's it, it's it's very easy to say like oh well CryptoPunks are going to be like the representation of like the creation of art like in this new new universe that we we don't yet live in right and and in that world like you start looking at like okay well what are the most elite CryptoPunks right and to your point like about the Picasso I mean there's there's a CryptoPunk that's already worth as much as these Picassos right like you could argue that the the, the the one of one seven trait crypto punk is probably worth you know a hundred to two hundred million dollars. Right, it hasn't it right hasn't now. traded, so we don't know what the value is. Well, the owner delisted it at a hundred million because right. <laughs> it could get sniped up. Yeah, yeah, but like uh, I I think it's probably worth a hundred million, uh, almost certainly. And if you believe that the price of Ethereum is going to go up like three or four x, which pretty much everybody does, well, that that's a half a billion dollar, you know, twenty four pixel 
digital thing right there, which is kind of crazy for people to wrap there. Absolutely wild. I like to look at this in sort of like an advertising framework, right? Like when we model out billboards or any, any sort of ad you, you charge like per impression and art is like sort of similar. Like most people don't buy art to put it in a closet for nobody to look at just to know that they own it. They kind of want to own it so that other people can see it and know what like a big shot they are. So if you think about like the number of eyeballs, like a piece of art just gets sitting on your, the wall of your house versus if you are a Twitter personality with a hundred thousand followers, like you're talking about like a, like a, a million to one ratio in terms of like eyeballs, right. On your thing. So, so it completely makes sense to value art in the digital realm more than you would value it in the physical realm from, from that perspective. So a lot of this stuff doesn't That's a very, seem too crazy very to me. cool angle of looking at that i mean if you're new to this space the the other thing that you could potentially have going for you is uh we still haven't really reached full fractionalization of these nfts which i mean could be either good or bad but most likely gonna like unleash a whole new level of degenerates Mm -hmm. on on these assets like instead of buying a whole company you can buy a fraction of the company and we've seen what retail investors can do to certain stocks, like what happens if certain NFTs are able to be fractionalized, traded as shares? And yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, absolutely. And I mean, like we talk about too, how like the the value of something is traded on the margins. It's like whatever the last price was is equals the valuation. So you only need a few edge transactions to make a crypto work go from three hundred thousand to three million. You know, you just need a handful of transactions on the edge to. To create that so like maybe there is this next level of like growth that hasn't hit us because when you introduce like DeFi features like fractionalization and maybe even lending <coughs> again against your crypto punk i don't know and but also the, the the second use case for for big time art is um you know store value so like so some extremely wealthy people store their wealth in art and i think it know, may never off-ramp into fiat right Right. Which is like a wild concept that we've been talking about. Yeah. I mean, well, like you said, I mean, we're, we're less than like probably a couple months away, I think from being able to, to, to borrow against your crypto punks and then soon against like a lot of other NFTs. Right. So the digital realm allows you to have like liquidity on these assets that doesn't really exist in the real world. So you can own this, you can, you could, you drop a million dollars on this little pixelated thing, right? And it doesn't just sit there and be useless. Um, you could, you could immediately borrow like three or four hundred thousand dollars in cash against that asset if you wanted to at any time. So you, you have the ability to have this like instant liquidity and it, it makes it like way more attractive. I mean, and you, you do have funds now. I mean, the reason the CryptoPunks floor went from, you know, 15 ETH to, 150 ETH in the matter of like a few months is one of the main catalysts was a lot of funds started allocating to the NFT space as a, you know, as an asset class. And naturally they, they gravitated towards what is essentially like the Bitcoin of NFTs punks. And, and, and that demand really helped catalyze and, and push that price upwards. And, and, and to your point about the fractionalization, I, I think it's like a cool thing. But like I, I, I feel like most people aren't gonna want to own like one one thousandth of a punk, and it. I don't it think they'll have be, a choice. Well, yeah, be, I have a question. Yeah, about but they'll want to like take shots at like the smaller things that they can own one of, right? Like you, you may have like funds know. and stuff like that Shoot. owning like 
I think a if, portion if I of can... it to like have exposure to the market. But like, if you own like one one thousandth of a punk, you sort of like lose all the the flexibility. Maybe. You lose the ability. You to definitely lose the brag, and it's just like a pure financial play at that point. You definitely lose the flex utility. But at the end of the day. Anyone who buys these things are trying to make more make money. money. Uh, I, I kind of like disagree. Like people obviously want to make money, but like there's this huge element of community and flexing and just like you can't do that in the same way if you own like a I mean, I have FOMO. Punk, I'll be honest. Know? Yeah. Yeah. You know? Like owning like an entire punk like in the crypto world now and just having that as your profile, like it gives you like instant legitimacy. Because people are like, holy shit, that motherfucker owns like a $400,000 JPEG, a million dollar JPEG. It's like, a watch it's like doesn't even come close. First anymore. of all, nobody even. And by the way, this is a male dominated space. Yeah, I mean, watches seem like so, stupid as hell. Lambos, yeah. Lambos, <laughs> you, you Lambos watches. They don't around even oh, come close. Does it work anymore? <laughs> my watch is on my phone. Yeah. Come on now. Yeah, it's just a meme going around on Twitter now that pretty soon everybody's going to start buying girls' NFTs instead of handbags, you know? And I'm sure that'll <laughs> happen. Sure, that'll happen. Um, the other thing, I'm much newer to NFTs than you guys, but um, one thing I think you mentioned that the value was, you know, the status, um, community, also store value. But I thought what was interesting is that it enables artists to grow with their with how like their work, right? So with NFTs, you can earn, uh, you earn for every subsequent sale, right? So you can create your work and put it out there and maybe your couple friends and family buy a few and a couple people who like it buy a few. And then you keep producing and you keep making your work and then it sells, right? And then someone's like, oh shit, I like that too. And you get a bigger fan base and a bigger fan base. And now as an artist, you're earning based on how much you produce and how much you produce mm. things that people care about. And it's like this new paradigm where you can just create and be yourself. And eventually you might get rewarded for it. And I think that's cool. It's a, that's totally cool. I guess the, the question I want to ask everyone in the circle is that, okay, so we have like some prolific crypto uh, investors, early crypto investors in this uh, conversation right now, in this sphere of ours, we have like some crypto heads and my question is, how do you balance, how are you guys balancing the, the delineation between owning more NFTs, owning more JPEGs versus owning more coins? And how do you uh, see that playing out over a long term when you, like, I think as a crypto head, everyone in this circle wants to own more coins. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I own way too many NFTs. Right. So like, Way too. Tell much. me, like, how you plan to manage that balance? Because, like, obviously, right now is like the the NFT bubble. It's like the time mm -hmm. to make money with NFTs. But like, there's a lot of people who don't own any NF NFTs, and you might not tell them like, "Hey, this is the best way to get more coins is to like buy NFTs." You might it's not. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> like, I'd like to hear your thoughts on that. Well, I mean, in the same way that like you say you want to get more coins, I think NFT people are like, we want to get more grail pieces um i don't think nft people want to like get out of the space right they want to turn around and like flip and buy more crypto punks buy more autoglyphs so grail yeah grail piece yeah, is basically like, like the best of the best that will stand the test like, of like time, i know that right? i personally have like you know sold off a lot of my kind of 
more speculative, dumb little profile pick plays that went up like 10, 15, 20 X. And I've tried to like cycle that, a lot of that back into more NFTs, but into NFTs that are going to have like, uh, you know, actual like lasting value. Like Which I, ones are you selling? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like let's basically, basically anything that's a profile pick. Uh, I, I've, I've been selling that. That's, that's not like a punk or an ape, you know, anything other than those. Like, I mean, you know. we, we should put this out there. I think we're all in agreement that you're, you're not going to make it if you're not looking at the ETH value of your NFT trades, like the whole, your NFT investments have to have higher beta than ETH. They have to outpace ETH, like as in, you know, when you buy it, you have to make more ETH, regardless of the dollar value. Yeah, right. Like we're on agreement in that, right? Life will be changed by that statement. You know, like you have to know where you are on like the NFT totem pole. Like the reality of the situation is like ninety nine point nine percent of the people can't like come onto Ethereum and break into the NFT market. It's like ridiculous. Like even to buy a pudgy penguin, it's like eight thousand dollars for like an entry level penguin it's like it's like absolutely nuts um so you see a lot of volume going off to side chains like the solana nft market was very very hot this summer um a lot of demand flowed over there right so if you're kind of breaking into the space it's like probably better to like wet your feet on like solana or on one of these new chains like an avalanche or a phantom all these other chains that come out Um, because they have communities and the communities value are you know it's a smaller market but you're going to pay less fees and gas and you're going to actually be able to buy stuff. Right. And I still think the goal is probably to, if you like NFTs and you want to be in the asset class long-term to try to bring that money back home to like Ethereum based NFTs and buy like, you know, quote unquote grail projects. If you, if you can, um, yes, Senator 47 in the the back room, Uh, (laughs) Senator 47. My question uh, is, uh, do you believe in the notion that, um, so there are Grail NFTs, right? Like I think we mentioned the CryptoPunks. You said the Autoglyphs. I think you could like put Fidenzas in there. There are like several art blocks projects that you could put in the Grail tier. My question is, do you believe that there would be Grail projects for each different blockchain? So like, would there be a Grail Solana NFT? There better be. And then would there be a Grail uh avax or a grail uh polygon etc cetera, etc cetera. yeah there definitely will i mean the grails be. on solana are not going to be as worth as much as the the grails on eth and all all probability unless i don't know there is a possible future i guess unless there's solana a usurpation um, but probabilistically speaking probably not going to happen i mean any anytime you have like a large community of people with sort of like some sort of shared interest or bond like you know conglomerating around a particular network like there's the possibility for like a collectible to arise that has value because like that's the whole point of art and collectibles is to sort of like have these things that are socially desirable to your peer group right um the peer group on these other chains is less rich and it's less like numerous than eth which has all these kind of og billionaires running around you know dumping millions of dollars on nfts but that dynamic still exists like i don't i don't think that nfts on avalanche are going to go to zero i don't think that nfts on solana are going to go to zero uh in, in i mean a lot of them will but not not in aggregate like i don't think everything's just eventually going to pour back into eth and there'll be no nfts on other chains you know i mean uh, i think one big question is like if you want to get some exposure 
you know, what do you buy? Like, I mean, first of all, I share the concern of like, I do, I want to make sure I have enough ETH, like the ETH to NFT ratio has to be proper. That was the, the earlier question. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, yeah. I think you're, you're right. Like you have to make sure you have almost, I mean. What is that? I don't know. I think it's like What's dependent on. Depends on your risk tolerance and yeah, like how long are you in this? I think I'm at like thirty percent NFT. So so yeah, I mean it comes to classic asset allocation. Like when your winners win, are you yeah. classic allocation where you sell your winners and buy your losers? Like it, I mean, here's what I tell my fiance. <laughs> I tell her we don't want to be the last ones just holding JPEGs. <laughs> Like we want to hold the coins. Like we want the coins. We want to maximize our coins. And like, you know, the JPEGs are a vehicle for more coins. For more coins. I mean, we yeah. were talking about this on the car ride over that like the, I think the biggest losses in this will not be like trades that you make. It will be not holding long enough. Mm. Like if you have a 10 to 20 year time horizon, like, you know, for a punk, for example, your biggest loss could be selling it too early and not like so holding on to it is for 10 most years. People that jump into this space are not hodlers, like at all. This I mean, is a frothy market. That yeah, bubble, is, a bubble attracts all parts, which is good. Which is good. Yeah. It, yeah. it attracts like talent and money and like ideas, which will then create the next evolution of whatever NFTs are supposed to be, right? But like, what happens is a lot of people get hurt. And we were talking about that earlier offline, right? It's like this idea of like you're jumping into a very volatile, risky space. You have no idea what you're getting into in so many ways. You're just picking some avatar picture project to be your next avatar because you believe in the community. And then all of a sudden it goes to shit. It becomes a shit coin or whatever ends up happening. A lot of people get hurt. And the question is, who's responsible for that? You are. <laughs> yeah, so I, I like your that's answer. A, that's a great question. Thank like, you, sir. Who's responsible for that? And uh, I think that's something that uh, the government and the regulators are struggling with right now. Is Massively. is like understanding who's responsible for um, the pain and the suffering of the people who lose in the crypto space, and uh, where the responsibility lands for for those folks who. Um, are having a, a tough time distinguishing between opportunity and um, you know the risk that's inherent to the space. I know we're going to go deep in the weeds here. So I just want to say one thing before we go into the weeds of policy is that we've talked about this before on Tipsy Talk. And ultimately what this all comes down to, I believe, and I, I, I pointed this out when we were outside, is like this is an ideological battle. The ideological battle... And the war that we're in, I think, is going to last like about a decade. And it seems to come down to a very simple idea. Is responsibility on the government and authority or on the self and the individual? And there's a very interesting argument happening in this stage of life across all fronts, whether it be COVID, crypto, um, the, the risks that come with crypto and getting scammed and hurt and losing money, um, medical freedom. I mean, you can literally insert any thing that has these days become politicized and it comes down to that very simple ideological war. And maybe I'm like, uh, I, I definitely am like simplifying this too much and making it a little too black and white. A little bit, yeah. Okay, but <laughs> hey. It, it helps. It helps me. It helps everybody to understand that like the, the dividing line is 
I'm responsible or someone is responsible for me. And the interesting thing about the people that believe somebody is responsible for them, or rather not the people that believe someone is responsible for them, the people that want to be responsible believe that they know what's best, especially when it comes to COVID. They're like sitting there going like, we've uh, done the homework for you. And we know what's best for you as a society, but not only you as a society, but as an individual, here's the right thing to do. And everything outside of this narrative, we're going to classify as misinformation. And so I'm taking a bit of a tangent, but the point is to prove a point, which is the same thing is going to apply to the crypto space. Yeah. And I think the best place to start off there is like Stephen's point that if you, we have this like phenomenal use case where we see a completely unregulated market, an unregulated financial system just kind of like developing from the ground up. And, you know, Stephen brought up the point that like in 2017, there were like, there was like an ICO every day, but like now they don't exist because why? Because the market realized that, that there were like, that was not the optimal way to raise money for these funds. And there was a lot of scams and people, you know, surely got hurt, but the market learned and self-corrected itself. And I think when you see in a, another aspect of like a self-regulated market is we see sometimes these, these hacks, these like zero day exploits or whatever it is, like there's bugs in the code and someone takes advantage of it. The community itself uses this like public blockchain to like figure out who took the money and then to like almost like social pressure that person, the community itself and the, all these other building blocks of this like decentralized financial system kind of like blacklist this person into the point of like, hey, give back the funds. We know who you are. You're not going to be able to interact in this like community anymore. And like those two points say that when you have, um, you know, a complete unregulated market, the market kind of corrects in itself. And, and maybe that only happens in finance. You know, but like it's it's a pretty good use case where you don't really have a market that's really unregulated, and you get to kind of examine how things happen and the dynamics at play. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty wild when you live in the crypto world for a while, and you kind of just like experience that and see everything that happens, and then you go back into the real world, and everything just looks like really weird, um, like extraordinarily like inefficient and ossified, and just 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 kind of terrible and slow moving and like to your point um yeah it is it is pretty remarkable like how much the crypto industry has sort of just self-policed and self-regulated over the years um especially in like the world of DeFi, where you have just i mean there's there's quite literally hundreds of billions of dollars flowing through smart contracts the the vast majority of which i can assure you have not been audited by anybody um and the the amount of money that has actually been like permanently taken and lost is 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 astoundingly small and the amount of money that's been returned even after being temporarily stolen is 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 likewise crazy i mean the community has really developed this like self-policing attitude this like kind of social structure um, I mean, that that's doesn't really that could, be left. I out. mean, that itself is fascinating. That like someone stole from the community, and the community self police mm-hmm. itself to get the money back. Like, where is that based only on happened? social pressure? Largely, like <laughs> right. social pressure, uh, sort of forced the the evildoer to return the funds. And this happens more often than not. You know, I've only been in the space for. I mean, also, it's also also it's blockchain and like 
one guy on Twitter runs an analysis and he's like, oh yeah, this came from this exchange. And somebody who's like, oh yeah, I have a contact there. And they talk to them and they're like, oh yeah, it's this guy. Right. I mean, it's, <laughs> the it's, beauty it's of the like blockchain over, is know? that everything is, is, uh, always visible. Everyone thinks it's extremely anonymous. Yeah. In a, in a way, like it's anonymous because the, the wallet is a number, not a name, but, right. the, but <laughs> the crazy thing is that everything exists on chain as a distributed ledger right. where we can see yeah. where that money's going at all times. It's, it's like, it's, it's radical transparency. It's like radical self-responsibility. Um, it, it feels good if you do it properly, you know, if you're not like Mark Cuban and you get rugged and then you cry to the regulators for, for help, you know, wait, what happened? To wait, Mark? you didn't hear about this? No. What oh my God. Mark, Mark Cuban, this uh, Mark Cuban was a Mr. Oh, Mr. Defile. It's so great. It's future. And he I like, thought he's ate, still pumping. He what aped happened? into this like uh farm. First of all, on, I was, uh, I was in the same thing that he was in. I was, in yeah, the I, I was in it too. Um, the difference, <laughs> There's this guy on there's this guy there's this guy on Twitter. Uh, he's very famous in the crypto world. His name is Dgen Spartan, and he just kind of mm-hmm. shit posts and just this is like a seminal figure in the rise of DeFi. And he had this like tweet the other day where he's like, "Them, it's a Ponzi scheme. I'm not going to invest. Me, it's a Ponzi scheme. I'm going all in." Right? And that's kind of like the 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 thing with some of these like wild west protocols. You're like, if you know what's up, you're like. Fuck yeah, this is a Ponzi scheme. I'm going to make so much money. Because if you know something is a Ponzi scheme and you know a bunch of other people don't know it's a Ponzi scheme, well, you're just, you're just going to make money. It's like, so hmm. I was in it. Uh, Eric was in it. We, 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 you both knew it was a Ponzi scheme. I'm just like, yeah, I'm just going <laughs> to make they, some money. And as soon as this thing like shows the slightest sign, I know it's going to go to zero. I'm just going to pull everything out. The motto. But Cuban, Cuban apparently was not familiar with this concept. And uh, <laughs> I, this is really sounding great for all the future regulatory talk, I guess. But like, <laughs> I mean, Cuban had some money in there. He probably lost like 20 grand. He's worth like billions of dollars. And it's just like, just, we need regulation and blah, blah, blah. It's, it's just like, dude, you got like, upset about this. <laughs> what I have to say is the take, motto, take the motto of crypto is to D-Y-O-R. Do your yeah. own research. And yeah, like, that is the motto. Like nobody with half a brain thought that that was a serious risk-free project, right? right you you know what you're getting into. You want to take the risk. Go what for it. Deals, Oh my God. I mean, when I first started, it was somewhere in the order of like 300,000% or something, right, you know, just, it's <laughs> just really, really 300,000% that should already put red flags into your brain to think that like, this is not sustainable. Uh, I mean, you can't like double your money every day in interest. That's not like, well, a, you know, if you understand the tokenomics, which obviously we looked at, what into, was this project? Did it you guys see that? Iron Finance. Iron Finance. There we go. Uh, oh, the so old iron. So iron was the stable coin iron. backed by uh, the governance token, Titan Finance. The Titan Titan coin. Now was, I like, remember. As, as you uh, minted more Titan, like they, they like rebalanced the stable coin, or if you sold more Titan, they rebalanced the stable coin. Uh, you knew inherently that if the, the value of Titan dipped too low, that iron, the stable coin, would lose its peg. Depeg. It would depeg, and it would not be worth uh, one dollar, which is what, what. So when situations like this happen, what's the right way forward for everybody? The like, right way like, forward is you lose your money in that, and you go ow, and then you look around, and you're like, wait, nobody's here to protect me, and then you realize, mm-hmm. oh, I have to take ownership of myself and my life and my money, and then I'm not going <laughs> to do that again, right? 
And a lot of this like DeFi regulatory, crypto regulatory talk does come down to this kind of like essential. This is like a deep question, right? Like, what is the role of government in quote unquote protecting people? I fall like a lot more like kind of on the libertarian side of things because I, I think that like when you introduce government into all these situations, like you have these like you, you have these like problems that arise, right? You have sort of like moral hazard problems where like people are just more likely to take risks like if they think they're going to get bailed out or like people's like own sense of like looking around and assessing risk just atrophies over time because they just assume everything in life that's bad like the government will get their back right and then the people get lazy but then also the people providing the service kind of get lazy as well because the government's just going to be in there in the middle like bailing everything out and then you end up with the society that gets progressively <laughs> more and more and more unable to assess risk and take any personal responsibility and then they they start crying out for more and more and more government help so i was right you it know? is that and simple. then this is just a <laughs> It's like a terrible slippery slope to go down. I'm, I'm not saying like there should be like no regulation at all, but like like we should have like very open eyes with the fact that like humans to a degree need to. There's some level of awareness and responsibility people have to have. Otherwise, they just turn into these useless blobs that depend on like the nanny state to do everything and protect their life, and then society eventually will will, will crumble. If that's, that's what happens. It's not yeah. it's not a good long term solution. I mean, we should probably like debunk like the the most common narrative from government about Please. like cryptocurrency in general, Please. which is that it's primarily used for fraud, and that I feel like that's but, a ten year old argument. Yeah, does anybody really say that? Yes. Yeah. Elizabeth Warren. Yes. Besides, I, that's the mainstream argument. But no, it's like it's like Elizabeth Warren and like two other even Elizabeth Warren doesn't actually believe it, you know. She She's definitely doesn't believe it, but for cynical. people listening to her should probably understand Correct. why that's not true. Like I mean, I'm I'm literally looking at a podcast episode now. I mentioned it to you guys. It's a podcast called uh Intelligence Matters. And on it they had the former undersecretary for terrorism and financial intelligence at the US Treasury. Her name is uh, Seagal Mandelker, and her job was chasing down people who created financial crimes. Like uh, we're talking about people who like maybe like get hacked into companies and like you know hold them hostage for Bitcoin or ETH or whatever it is. Mm. And in the podcast, she straight up says that it's easier to track down these criminals when they use cryptocurrency versus other other means. Like because it's so publicly available, they can track down who they are, they can trace who they are. And they can Where actually the re going. and they can recapture most of the yes. funds. So like we know that like if there's talking heads on TV saying, "Oh my God, this is terrible that they're using it Black for illicit market. fans." Yeah. First of all, you're not comparing it. You're not like you know giving a proportional comparison to like what the normal U.S. dollar system is is you know con, you know like a piece of that fraudulent system. But not only if they use this, we're able to track them down a lot faster. So like if if you're in the intelligence community or you're in like law enforcement, you kind of want them to use this so you can track them down. I, I will say in 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 the spirit of uh, fairness here, even though it kind of cuts against my own self interest, I, I think a reason a lot of these criminals get caught is because they're they're criminals and they don't really understand blockchain. Like I think if you told me to launder a hundred million dollars through blockchain, I could probably do it pretty easily. Um, now, if I do screw up, like, yeah, you're right. There's a permanent paper trail and they'll, they'll find you. Um, but like the, the truth is probably somewhere in the middle. Like it's, it's, it's like way less severe than like all the 
politicians would have you believe. Yeah. Um, but also there are very real ways to like completely eliminate your paper trail. And I think a lot of the reason that criminals don't do it is because they're just not knowledgeable exactly. about they're not crypto savvy. They're just yeah. criminals. And then they're like, pay me in Bitcoin or something. And then they, I mean, you know, like, like let's, let's like all agree yeah. that like that problem is solvable and fixable. And we shouldn't throw out this new technology for the sake of like right. few criminals when the upside is like unleashing financial freedom for a whole new class of people that didn't have that available. Like, I mean, yeah, of, yeah, of course, of course. And even if what I'm saying is like true, I mean, it doesn't like the, the fact of the matter is that like, you know, you know, cash dollars is a pretty great way to like, you know, <laughs> transact for criminal criminal enterprises. And it is the preferred choice of criminal organizations around the planet. Dollars. Right. Like it's it's overwhelmingly people just commit crimes using like like dollars, like not not Bitcoin. So the whole argument is is sort of like specious to begin with, I guess. Yeah. But like let's deprive everyday people of like a four percent yield on their savings because like one or two people or instances. Right. Can we please transition into uh, what regulatory issues are right on our doorstep? And and like you alluded to it with the this Coinbase, uh, you know they they prohibited Coinbase from from allowing its users to generate a yield on their on the tokens that they hold and of four percent of four percent which is four hundred percent greater than the current yield in any savings account <laughs> let's just be clear like that's uh, I, I think we we should also tell people that four percent is like a meme in the DeFi world like, <laughs> you laugh at four 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 percent is like the the 30 day T bill rate in, in, in DeFi, right? Like if you're, if you have half a brain and you know how to use Ethereum, you can, you can make 20, 25% on, on cash all day. It's like truly one of the stranger like discrepancies in like the modern financial system that you have this giant, like the, the whole world basically where like interest rates are like artificially manipulated to zero and nobody can earn anything. So they are all forced into high risk assets. Um, and then the free crypto market where like nobody's manipulating rates, like, yeah, yeah you can earn d double digits in your, in your sleep on your cash. Um, and I do wonder mm -hmm. to what extent like the powers that be sort of realize this and sort of are, are aware that if anybody started to arbitrage this opportunity, it might cause this flood of capital from the artificially lowered world into the crypto world and, you know, potentially destabilize what is like obviously like a very, very, very unstable monetary system right now. I mean, it, the, the world is obviously like hanging by a thread um, <laughs> on a lot of counts uh, financially. So, um, but that, but that's like sad to me because there's all these people sitting around just getting eaten away by inflation and like crappy monetary policy. They're not even aware of it and they're getting poorer. Um, and all they think prices are going up and they, they sort of are, but actually they're just, their dollars are just going down. They have been for decades and these people don't know how to save or invest. And on top of that, they have nothing they can invest in other than like Tesla call options that will like outpace. Right. Well, in inflation. a lot of cases, uh, they're prohibited from investing in uh, many cases. Yeah. And they're, they're prohibited from taking dollars, turning them into crypto dollars, which are effectively the same as regular dollars. They're back dollar for dollar in a bank account, basically in New York. You know, Coinbase is quite the safe company. And they could change these dollars to crypto dollars and so make what four, happens? five, six, seven percent on them, and they're they're not allowed to in the name of like protection, you know. Much yeah. like this, like regulatory right. agency has been like protecting people from 
getting like hundred thousand dollar airdrops like out of out of thin yeah. air. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> like, I, I think people like will compare like the traditional finance system and say like, well, it's safer. And look at DeFi and say it's much more risky. But like, risk exists in both systems, except mm-hmm. the risk in the traditional finance systems obfuscated by these like you know, pillared edifices, you know, you look at any bank, it's like, you know, it looks like a sturdy, you know, like building full of safety and it's backed by like uh, a government institution, but really the same risks exist. They're just obfuscated and you can't oh, see them that. as a, clearly as you can in DeFi because everything is public. And like, you know, you look at the SEC trying to regulate the system. The SEC is this disclosure like a uh, regulatory bottle where all they care about is like, are you disclosing all the risks possible when like, from the beginning, all the risks are disclosed. And yes, sometimes they're disclosed in code, which is, you know, tough for most people to like decipher. But like, I feel like all the risks in DeFi are on the table, mm-hmm. but not all the risks in the traditional finance system. You know, like, I mean, the, the Fed is, I don't think people understand, but the Fed controls a lot of like where the risk is in our traditional finance system. And like their meeting minutes, you know, held in like secret and like leaked, you know, are, are, are how we decipher risk in the traditional finance system. And it's just so obfuscated. And so people look at like, well, obfuscated risk means no risk and then look at DeFi and be like very risky and they realize that the alpha is in DeFi and not in you know a traditional finance system so i think that's like you know so do do you guys look at the DeFi sort of revolution as this panacea and sort of future revolution of everything that is inevitable in terms of what's going to happen to the world of finance or do you look at it as like sort of a leap off point and emerging point with everything that we have in like traditional finance. I'm just curious, like how do you guys see this playing out? Because like a lot of what we see is so insanely promising and at the same time, incredibly um, obfuscated by a lot of the things that Nick just mentioned. I want to, I want to let Steven go first, but I do (laughs) because Hit it. We're talking about a guy who's been in this game much longer than all of us. And mm-hmm. I, I got into this game uh, two years ago, maybe even slightly less than two He's years godfather. ago. Godfather. Steven's the Godfather. I don't. I don't know the entire like. I, I I can know the history, but you don't know the history until you felt it. You know, yeah. and, and, yeah. until you're in it. But what? But I, that's going to be relative for all human beings from this moment forward. So I think it's still important to have our own sort of understanding and feeling of what this is as a whole, because the thing about DeFi that's really interesting to me, if I'm going to make like a giant leap here, DeFi to me is reminiscent of psychedelics. I know that sounds absolutely wild, but psychedelics take this perspective of being a panacea for consciousness. Like human beings as a whole will up-level themselves consciousness will uplevel itself as a result of being more open to psychedelics, mushrooms, you know, psilocybin, um, acid in general, like in a therapeutic setting, by the way, I'm talking about. And here we have crypto and we have this realm of crypto that is decentralized finance. And the people that are behind it have a very similar perspective. They really feel that this is a revolution. They feel that this is a singularity moment. 
And what I'm really driving at is, is it? Can I actually go first, Stephen? <laughs> because, um, you know, like Stephen's been in this game much longer than any of us. But uh, from my, I, my very brief history of playing this game and like taking courses at, uh, you know. The, Which congratulations, by the way. Berkeley, like the fact that you yeah, yeah, I did that. In, I took the courses at Berkeley Blockchain you, EdX. Like, yeah. So EdX, Berkeley Yeah, they're all courses, free, by the way. Anyone can take them. They're free. EdX. They're through Berkeley. Anybody Berkeley. can level up to the level that you have. But they're kind of amazing. Like, and, like and, this. And one, one of the things that stood out to me with the DeFi stuff is like, so if you look at the way that finance exists today, you're looking at, uh, let's say, you, Armand, you want to borrow, and I, Eric, want to lend. So you go to this third party, you like Bank of America or Chase, whatever you want to call it. Like You go to borrow from Bank of America, mm-hmm. and I want to lend. I go to Bank of America. So Bank of America offers me 0.01 on my lend, and they charge you 19% on your borrow. Right. And that spread, they capture the entirety of it. And they are a massive conglomerate corporation because of it. Right. And of course, they're going to love where they sit because they're taking they all it. that entire profit margin. Correct. Okay. So this decentralized, permissionless, borderless ledger comes out that allows you, the lender, to interact with me directly, the borrower or vice versa, whatever. We can talk to each other. We can like we can make a deal. That is the idea of permissionless. Right. And and the trust that And trustless, well, actually. Yeah, we don't need to trust each other to because perform this transaction. The trust that we previously entrusted with Bank with of America third party is now the trust that we entrust with blockchain. With the blockchain. Okay. So beautiful. So now you and I can interact peer to peer and we can deal with each other. And not anonymously, to, even anonymously, if we, would, even. if we would like to, if you'd like to, yeah, anonymously, even, but like you don't have to pay 19%, and I don't have to earn 0.1%. We can meet somewhere in the middle, somewhere in the middle, and that is fascinating to me. Like, it's beautiful. It, like, I don't think it has to do with this like singularity or this, this like consciousness or anything. It's just like this is just a better way to interact from borrower to lender, period, hmm. as long as you can. Trust the blockchain instead of trusting this other third party that doesn't take that margin from us. Mm-hmm. Now we can both benefit. And the way that these protocols work these days is they'll reward us, the users, from using their protocol. Mm-hmm. And we'll, we'll both actually make money in the process of borrowing and lending. And I mean, Bezos famously said, your profit margin is my opportunity. And for this like new decentralized finance world, like the profit margin goes to the creators, the like participants. So like as an end user, it the, the profit margin of banks is now like the end user's opportunity. And that has never been be- like possible before in any level at all whatsoever. Now, now how so it will play I've, out is a different story. I right? see that as a extremely revolutionary opportunity. How it plays out and the level of regulation that comes into play is very interesting. Um, but these things go through incredible waves. Right now we're in like the NFT wave. It was like, you know, the DeFi wave before. So the real question is, and probably nobody has an answer to this, but like, where are we at in the NFT cycle? And what's next? Like, what do you guys think? Are we going back to NFTs now? No, you don't have to go back. But like, what's next? The original question was, is DeFi a panacea? (laughs) 
and yeah. inevitable. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Is is it, not that DeFi is a panacea, but yeah, definitely address that. But I do see blockchain as something absolutely remarkable beyond belief. Like I personally do. I see it as like the mushrooms of the new world. So like I really do. When, I think it's going to expose people to things that they never thought were possible. When people ask Coinbase, like where are you getting these 4% yields that you can just pay out when a bank is only going to pay you 0.1? The answer to that is they're not taking the fucking profit margin that Bank of America was on your 19% versus my 0.1. They're taking a narrower margin on that same deal that we both wanted. And that alone is a benefit to consumers, like to the users. So I think that alone is like an answer to your question, is this a panacea? I think, of course, it's a it's a, an improvement on the previous right. method. Right, and, and, and Coinbase is a centralized you know, player in the system. So you take that to an order of magnitude higher when you look at decentralized players where there there is no margin. They're not playing for any margin at all. That margin that even Coinbase would take gets passed on to like the, the participants. Yeah, I, I think what you guys are sort of touching on a little bit is that like, I think a lot of people don't Am I not touching this. it hard enough for you? <laughs> <laughs> Hit it harder. You can edit that out, right? <laughs> I think uh, what you guys sort of touched upon is that like one of the big things about crypto is that it enables like this like hyper efficiency that we don't see anywhere else in, mm-hmm. in the market, right? It, it it enables the elimination of rent seekers in in so many different ways. Um, hmm. Like there's no need to have all these middlemen between you and a loan, right? You don't need an underwriter. You don't need these legal people. You don't need auditors, accountants. You don't need all of these things because you can just encode it in a smart contract, right? And it's that sort of efficiency is like you, you can see that in a, in a protocol like 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 Uniswap. I think is is a good example of this. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. Coinbase, sure, it's a sixty billion dollar company, and they they do billions a month in trading volume, but they have thousands of employees. I think Uniswap also does like a, Uniswap does one or two billion a day in trading volume. I think five people work at that protocol. What? I didn't know that. Less less than ten, I'm almost certain. There's nowhere near thousands, right? So the the efficiencies, the economies of scale are, are, are crazy in that aspect, right? The the other area of rent seeking that's been going away with crypto that's really interesting is that like in, in the regular markets, right, you have this sort of life cycle of a company, right? Where I have this amazing idea for this startup in Silicon Valley. And then the flow is that the government says you can't ask non-accredited people to give you money as we define accredited, right? Mm-hmm. So then you go to quote unquote accredited investors and, and that typically means like going to these angels or, or venture funds, right? And then by the time your company is about to go public, right? At the very end when the end consumer can actually buy into it, you've given away a huge chunk of ownership to the select group of elite investors, right? They take a huge chunk of every big deal that comes. It all goes to this like very narrow gateway of people. Um, the crypto model is so different, right? Like, because, because of the way that, you know, we have this like 
tokenization is, is, is a great thing. It allows you to kind of like realize and distribute this economic value in a way that we didn't have before without the need for all these like regulatory bodies and middlemen. Like you can launch a protocol on Ethereum, you can launch a project, right? And it is standard practice to give 50 to 80% of the entire ownership of your protocol right from the get-go to the users yeah, of like the your protocol. S- it's like a your complete, seed round. It's a complete flip of what happens in the real world where huh. you, the end consumer, don't get anything until this thing is worth a billion dollars publicly traded and then everybody, you know, all the people are dumping on you at the IPO yeah. that had all these like early shares and everything. Yeah. Um, but in the crypto world, you can say this, you can, I have this vision and here's a tokenized, here's your coins that kind of represent all this future economic value. And here's the vision of how these coins will accrue value. Now you can buy these coins immediately. And people from day one can partake in that vision. And then they do it in this very intimate environment, right? There, everything takes place in like chats, like on Discord or Telegram. And you're talking to the devs on a day-to-day basis. You're voting on the decisions very early in the protocol. Like people are very vested in that, right? So can I say this in a different way and you can correct me? Mm -hmm. This is essentially like the idea of, I'm an individual person who makes a hundred thousand or dollars a year or less, maybe, maybe more. And I would like to be the type of person that invests in companies that make billions of dollars on an angel investment level or the type of person who's pre IPO on Coinbase, but I'll never have the opportunity to, but instead what I can do in this world is I can go into companies that are at a foundational level on a, what we would call essentially a pre-seed level or seed level and get in with the founding team, help them make decisions, almost play a role of an advisor, if not just even just an investor, if I want to understand the community, understand the ethos of the company, understand the culture of the company, understand the direction of the company, invest in the company, which I never would have had an opportunity to do because the government says that I don't make enough money and I'm too stupid and they want to safeguard me against making that investment. Yeah, and in addition to that, the business can't do that because they didn't file all the paperwork and they don't check (laughs) these boxes. And it's like, so it's this double-sided thing where like, yeah, nothing happens there. But like the end result of that isn't isn't necessarily that the consumer is quote unquote protected. The end result of that is that like at all, like everybody who keeps walking around being like, oh, why is there all this wealth inequality? It's because all the good investment opportunities all flow to the same people with the same capital. And that capital keeps reinvesting over and over and over again. And nobody has any chance to get ahead. Everybody can only get in at the end of the very end of the deal and do so in this like very sanctioned way via the stock market, which is why you're which seeing people everyone, like recognizes that now. And yeah. they're just they're even people now are like stocks to hell with that. I'm buying I'm buying deep out of the money call options stocks. I mean, we I all agree that accredited stocks, investor you know? rules are dumb. I want to give you a standing ovation right now. That was it. That, that was that's it. it. Dude, that was that's it. That's it. I want standing up. Yeah. I, I think like once you Look, see this happen and you like so take it's part revolutionary. in it. <laughs> it's revolutionary. It's revolutionary. We're early. 
<laughs> but like, eyes. you know, to to Stephen's point, like the credit investor rules are, are dumb. Like we joke no, all the dumb. time how like people are allowed to buy scratcher lottery tickets, play the lottery, gamble, and casinos, but they're not allowed to invest in startups unless they make or fifty thousand yeah. dollars or real, a year. Or basic yeah, real that estate deals, some right? Sort of freaking genius. Yeah, you know? exactly. Like well, you've done the work. You've done the work. Yeah. But like, the and, government has decided I'm too stupid. And and they can't trust me, or I can't trust me with myself. No, you're too poor. I mean, that's the fact. That's, a, that's, <laughs> that's literally what that's they're the saying. Actual fact is you're too poor. What they're really saying is this is a this is like um, something akin to like social hierarchy, actually. Like what it really is. Like some other countries will have like if you probably, make two hundred fifty thousand dollars a year, you're somehow smarter than the person who doesn't, which is not true. It's social stratification to a point where it's like we at this level and above deserve that alpha. it's an investor caste system yeah it is it's a caste system investor it is caste system. it is good. like all it these is. things are like oh it's for your own good you know it's like all, all we're protecting policy. you we're protecting we you. know what's best for you and it always comes back to that thesis in the beginning which steven said was too simplistic but it is so why is that thesis too simplistic what, what thesis was that? The, the, the thesis. <laughs> the loggy uh, villain is uh, taking yeah, over. Yeah. No, the thesis of it ultimately comes down to one question: Does somebody know what's best for you, or, or do does you it come down? Know what's best for yourself? Correct. Correct. I mean, like, if you know your own, Im- like you and I are very similar. And by the way, on the political compass, I'm more libertarian than you. So. <laughs> Yeah, I forgot I'm the resident leftist at this table somehow. <laughs> Socialism, he loves it. So that's that's the question. I believe it ultimately comes down to this idea of should some authority figure make decisions for you because they should take responsibility for things that could hurt you and prevent you from entering into these situations where you might risk your wealth or your dollars or your whatever it might be versus like personal responsibility. I entered this ICO. I got hurt. I bought this NFT. I lost my money. I learned the hard way and I move on and I go to the next thing. Yeah. I mean, I think you're close. I think, I think I would drill one level deeper and say Please. that like the root of it is like sort of like what is what matters? Is it the collective or is it the individual? And if you think that the, the the collective is what's important, that will necessarily like lead you down this path. Well, well, we need to do what's best for everybody. And, and since we need to do what's best for everybody, we have to put these you know rules in place. And uh, well, well, somebody has to implement these rules. And ultimately, there's going to be like a couple people at the top. That's just the way it has to be. And then that's right. So that's how you kind of get down that that path. And I and 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 I think like we are seeing like a huge battle play out right now. Like you, you like asked earlier if like DeFi is like a panacea or if it's like inevitable. And the answer is that like, it, it's neither. Um, I agree with that. And like, we're, we're going to like, it, like crypto has been a beautiful thing, right? Because if crypto, what didn't get invented, like we would probably all wake up 20, 30 years from now and we'd be living in something that look like, looks like China. Um, like techno- technology is advancing at like a very rapid pace, right? And if it falls into the hands of like, you know, government, you know, it can be used to like effectively enslave us, you know, quote unquote, for our own good, I'm, I'm sure. Um, and like we are to a degree seeing a lot of that happen like before our eyes, whether or not we, we recognize that. And it's always for our own 
Oh, good. Yeah. Rip, rip Australia. The, the interesting uh, thing is that they don't know. They don't the understand. Nobody knows. Like it, it happens so slowly that, you know, it's they just. Don't know. It's, yeah, it's about Prague and boiling water, you know, and it's, it's, it's happened here too, you know. Everybody was like, yeah, 14 days to slow the spread. And then a year and a half later, like, if, if you told me like 14 days to slow the spread, fine. If you Should told me like. A Nick year and a half later, like we'd have like a Nick doesn't effective vaccine <laughs> and you'd be like, we're in masks still and not still able to do things. You'd be like, no, we wouldn't let that happen. But like here we are because we just keep incrementally accepting like more and more and more and more. And when you do things incrementally, bit by bit, people don't like notice it's the slippery slope. As long as you keep nudging people, you end up in a place and then you look back and go like, wait, how the hell did I get, get here? To the idea you know? of regulation at large, uh, like because I think going yeah, into the specifics are, you know, I think we're going to land on opposite sides of whatever spectrum it is. But, like, listen, I agree with you. But, like, if we talk about regulation of the cryptosphere at large, um, I think we're, we're all going to come to a place of agreement in, um, in the fact that, like, look, gains need to be taxed. We've we've already talked about this before, but like gains need to be taxed. You can silo that off. That'll be its own thing. How you do it, uh, we can like, you know, disagree on how you tax gains. But like my personal opinion is, you do it at the uh, at the fiat level. Like you know, you take your gains back at the fiat, whatever. Silo that, and then we talk about the other huge component, which is consumer protection. Right. Consumer protection, like. If the SEC or the CFTC exist, I'm, I'm presuming they exist to protect consumers, right? Like I, I'm assuming that's their mandate. It's like the reason for their existence. It might not be the, like the way that they operate today, but I'm assuming that's the reason why they were founded to begin with. So if we talk about consumer protection within the cryptosphere, uh, we as users know exactly firsthand where our risk exists. Right, our risk exists in in uh, in a criminal trying to steal coins straight from our wallets, and and that like that risk that or that threat exists at every twist and turn or every approval or every click we make, we are at at a threat of somebody stealing our coins. That's a fact, and it's up to it's it's our responsibility today. To manage that threat, but if I were to welcome regulation at all, it would be like, "Hey, can you help protect us from all these jackasses that are trying to steal our money at every twist and turn, please?" You're talking about like uh, enforcement of penalties, not like um, protecting everyday people, right? You're trying to say like, if you commit fraud or a crime, you get penalized for it, versus like establishing some framework for companies to have to abide by, right? Well, I think that's one That's one aspect of it, certainly. Like maybe you're bringing up a, a separate aspect. I think the, like the lowest hanging fruit is we're getting fucking robbed. Like we, meaning crypto users, and like thankfully, knock on wood, not you, not you, not me. We haven't been robbed yet, but like our peers are being robbed left and right. And like I 
I don't like really agree with that though. Like the vast majority of people I know have never been robbed. The vast majority of people I know have never really been like super rugged or had anything horrible happen to them. Like we see things happen because when they go on Twitter, they get retweeted like 10,000 times, you know? So like the, the, the crypto space is a little bit scary for people. If you talk about, I am not just buying a coin in Coinbase, right? But I'm going to go out onto Ethereum and I'm going to self custody all my coins and I'm going to interact with protocols. And like, I, I do agree that that is a, a large risk for people who don't know what they're doing and they should be aware of that risk. Um, I think if that's what you're concerned with and purely what you're concerned with, I, I think the solution is like pretty easy. You just simply enable private like U.S. institutions or institutions from foreign nations that have strong, you know, legal frameworks to set up businesses that facilitate this for the consumer. And we already have that. Like we have Coinbase and we have FTX and we have Gemini and we have all these platforms that people can use that obfuscate all of the scary parts of like DeFi, right? Well, hold hold on. Uh, all of these uh, examples you just used have been prohibited from offering yield to the token holders. Right, but you're just you're just proving my point. Like my point is that like the solution isn't that difficult if that's what you're looking for. Like the solution is to just remove all the red tape that allows these, you know public companies to sort of like act as middlemen and facilitators in a free market sense. And the ones that don't do a good mm -hmm. job of protecting their users will just go bankrupt. You know, we can kind of let the market do its thing there instead of trying to have like all these regulators and like back rooms who don't understand crypto and can't keep up with it, like continuously try to like dictate regulations via fiat that like goes down everything. That doesn't make any sense to me, you know, maybe, but, maybe let me reframe the whole thing. And I, I think this, I don't, I don't necessarily care so much about what I said at the initial, but like mm -hmm. all I care about is that when a regulator comes to my doorstep, what a regulator, I think what Gensler is, is talking about is uh, managing an individual's risk tolerance on an investment. And my only uh, counter argument is don't manage my or any individual's personal risk tolerance, let anyone invest how they choose to, but like they'll know the risk. Everyone knows the risk going in, let them play in that playground. And you know, like what I want is for Gensler at all is to go after the criminals who are uh, facilitating fraud, hacking. I mean, it's easy to say that, but like, the actual implementation of that is where you will end up with like a policy that's like very, very bad. Right. Okay, so what's the alternative? You want to put a million dollar investment limit on crypto? No, the alternative is like pretty simple. It's like you allow the private market to build this walled garden for people to interact with all these protocols in a, in a safe fashion. And the companies, who have like, you know, multi-billion dollar valuations, well, it will be in their financial interest to vet these protocols and only allow very safe ones on there, right? And then much in the same way that before an individual trades like futures or some other derivatives, they have to sign off on some things. You could make the individual simply acknowledge that like, hey, 
we noticed you're sending money off of Coinbase into this wallet. Um, you know, please, we want you to know that like this is like risk all these but things can happen, blah, 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 blah. Right. So you can create an environment where people like who just want to be safe can be safe. And then if people want to take on the risks, then they just have to take on those risks and nobody should be protecting them in any way. Cause the second you start to try to quote unquote, protect them from hacks or criminals, it's just like in an, in an anonymous world where you have this like non-government money, right? You're going to have to do some very Orwellian shit in order to actually police people. And you're not going to like the results of it. It goes back to what Armand was saying. I still think it comes back to like the collective versus the individual. Like there's no way you could manage a set of rules that properly take into account every individual's risk tolerance. Like for, for on, on 330 million people, you just can't do that. Like if you manage a company, right? Like, you get customers from a certain like if you were a co- managing company and you manage from the average you you would be unequivocally like managing from an unoptimal level right like if you every cus- every company gets customers from several different sources and each one of those sources has different cost to acquire those customers and different lifetime values of those customers and similarly every individual in the US has different risk tolerances they also have different immune systems in ways that they manage their health like you cannot like blanket cover everyone if you manage from the averages you you manage suboptimally and so like i think that's what it comes down to like with regulation you can't pretend to know what everyone's risk tolerances are or what their goal, you know, personal financial goals are when it comes to regulation. So I kind of agree with like, can we just like try to uh, take care of the, the fringe cases of like fraud and criminal activity, but let people use this technology to like, you know, lift themselves up financially, hmm. but like they're going to have to play the risk and reward part of that, you know, formula. I think like th- th- there's like a larger problem at hand here, which is that it-, it-, it seems like an inevitability to me that like everybody takes it for granted that like money is just a thing that is controlled by the government what is money. And I-, I don't think that that's going to persist into the future. And I don't think there's any reason why gov- like government has to control money, why money has to be this permission thing. And I think all of the regulation, all of the legal framework is all coming from this perspective of like, oh, well, money comes from the government as though it's this like given that is always persisted and will persist throughout time. And I, I don't think that's going to continue to be the case. And I, I think awesome. that although, you know, the government can in the short run, like the United States is still very powerful and it can certainly hurt crypto and, and, and do things to hamper that. But like it is sort of in inevitability at this point that money is going to decouple from governments, at least in some sense. It already has. Like we're already, we're already joking about how like, you know, that car is so many ETH or this house is that many. That's true. Like we joke around about it, like because we're viewing it as a currency and it's like, we do. We're very select people, you know? Yeah. But like, yeah, but no, that's no, not no, how it will let's stay. explain that further. Like money, like, money, money in like the distant future is just going to be this like sort of natural right as opposed to like, like we, we have the concept of like natural rights, right? And then versus like rights that are given to you 
by the government. Right. And, and in the U.S., like we come more from the sort of natural rights perspective, right? I have rights. But it's, you know, it's been a given that like money is something that the government permissions you to have and use. And like even, you know, even, even earlier this century, like they tried to take gold from people and you couldn't even have that, you know? So, um, that's not going to be the case forever. And I think that governments who try to fight that, even though they might be successful in the short run, eventually they're going to have like brain drain and capital flight. And ultimately the game theory will play out where it makes sense for other countries to like allow that they will drain a lot of those resources. And ultimately, you know, that's not going to be something that the, the government can control in the long run, unless they want to go full, authoritarian china and like literally censor the internet and there's micro every single element of people's I mean, lives i can see that playing out we're like we kind of take on tendencies of like you know communist china where it's like hey we don't want you to use this DeFi protocol well that's where it was going to go before crypto for sure right like if crypto never gets invented if bitcoin never gets invented then China comes out with their CDB, their central bank digital currency. The U.S. makes a central bank digital currency. And then everybody lives in this like kind of like potentially terrible world where the government now issues you programmable money that can be warped in all sorts of ways to like keep you under their thumb. Right. So crypto is this great check on that. Right. And we're kind of in this like technological. Race. Can, you, can, you, can, you, can you let's explain that a little more. Like that's actually a profound Talking about programmable money or what? Um, like the check that crypto provides on fiat currency. Yeah. I mean, well, like governments need checks and like we understand founding father, yeah, founding fathers, like, <laughs> um, like they understood that, but it's sort of like a human nature thing, right? Like if you give like a group of humans sort of like power, like eventually it just goes off the deep end. Like humans have never been good at like self-regulating power. And that's like, especially true of like organizations of humans and any institution, right? which we talked about institutions. It's sort of like an inevitability. Um, this is like similar to the, not to go totally off tangent, but like, you know, the, 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 the guns thing, right? The guns might not be inherently good, but they like do provide like a, a particular check on the system from getting out of control. So in that sense, they like, I would argue have like particular value. Um, you have to look at things in terms of the entire system of them, not just that one thing in, in, in isolation. There's always this like balance. Um, and the same is true of like technology and, 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 and money, right? Like if you give the government just complete control of the money and they can do whatever the hell they want with it and you're powerless to take any ownership of it, well, eventually that will mm. spiral out of control. And in the past, that meant like you got mm. hyperinflated away and you just like lost all your money. Lost it. But in like a like technocratic like dystopia, it means that you don't have paper money anymore. All of your money is like programmed. It's all digital. And they can do things with it that they can't do with money today right like if you're a bad citizen on faith if you say something against the government on facebook well they can deduct a hundred dollars from your bank account they can burn they can, money like the money the program money disappears they can punish you they can take money away they can like give you punitive interest rates and all sorts of things to kind of like keep you in check and like that's like a really terrible outcome right because we all need money so if the government just has like complete control over it to the point where it can be like literally programmed and you can't escape like that's obviously like a i mean i would argue is not like a 
good outcome for society. So the, the fact that mm. this thing now exists out in the ether, right, right? Where anybody can kind of permissionlessly use it and it really can't be stopped. Like the price can sort of be driven down and like people can be driven into hiding, but like, unless you ban the internet, like the, it's, it's code. There's nothing you can do about it. That code's always so going to be is, there. This is hell for the government. Basically, Elon is winning. Is what you're <laughs> yeah, saying? He's stoking the flames. But like, I, I think it's a weird segue. <laughs> Where did you come with that conclusion? I just wanted to. I just wanted to. Literally, so literally that, nothing to do with Elon. No, but basically, Elon is winning. I actually, had, I had, actually had a question for everyone yeah. in this circle. But but Elon, is including well. Kazomo and, and Elon. Kazomo, <laughs> my question Kazomo. is Kazomo. What what is Kazomo uh, doing? Cosmo. My question is uh, Kozomo. If Kozomo. if um, regulation got too draconian, mm-hmm. would you? And I mean you, meaning like you and you and you and you. Would mm. you leave the United States? If in a, if, in a heartbeat. Of yeah, yeah, I would leave. And capital, crypto capital is very mobile. That's what I'm asking. I'm asking you. Just, you just memorize you, 12 words and yeah, go anywhere. It, it depends you, on what that feels like. Like if, it, if, if the regulation got too draconian, which, which they're obviously trying, like their incentive seemingly is to uh, be as draconian as possible. It seems so. It seems so. Like it doesn't seem like that should be there. <laughs> doesn't seem like we're taking I, the it other. It doesn't seem like that's their mission. I think, but that I seems think like they're aware to a degree of what will happen if they're so. Like uh, really? Yeah, I don't. Just I as a rebuttal, Gary um, Gensler is like an idiot. Just as a rebuttal, like you know, who cares what she says? But Elizabeth Warren was asked the same question. She she said like, "Well, I want to tax the billionaires at two percent wealth tax," and. Uh, she, the question was, well, Elizabeth Warren, do you think that billionaires would just leave the United States? She said, I don't think anyone would leave the United States. It's too, it's, it's too much of a panacea here. Sure, but that's what we call political posturing. Yeah. Like if rubber meets the road and so the billionaires all start what leaving. What I'm asking is, would you and you and you and you, would you leave the United States? What if, are the repercussions if I if don't? Yeah, like describe the pain for us. Yeah. I can't predict the future. I don't know what it's going to look yeah, like. Yeah, but just like paint a You can't yield 25% on your stable coins? Is that what you're saying? Because <laughs> that sounds what painful. You, like, what if they... Uh, well, I don't think they're going to disallow uh, the use of cryptocurrency. I, I, I okay. don't think they're going to allow that. Um, yeah, I mean, that is a possibility. That's draconian. What if they don't let you use Uniswap? If they don't allow you... They, like, you, you, they require all internet providers to block... The Uniswap domain from US IPs. I mean, that's where I'm. I'm like trying to play and, this and what end you're really game out. Like, at is like uh, the idea of any decentralized exchange that allows you to move from. And I think they're particularly worried about stable coins. Yes, but like, let's yes. just say like Uniswap yeah. is like a widely used DeFi okay. app. Okay, sure. But you can't block Uniswap. It's it's a protocol. It's well, not. It's no, not can, like a website. You can block the uh, the use of the domain on a local IP, and you can. Yeah, yeah, right, but, but I could all. Anybody can throw up Uniswap on any website. Oh, it's beautiful. Four seconds. It's like we. Like, it's an infinite cat and mouse. You're right. Like it's, it's a. It's a the, the five of us could throw up can a, a UI. Explain that. So so Uniswap dot is it dot org or dot com org. or dot org is just a UI front to connect you to 
these smart contracts and in Ethereum. Like, yeah, like we, we could also start up our own yeah. UI that like interacts with it. That could be very basic just for us that interacts with, you know, the smart contracts and the blockchain and we can connect our wallet to it. And like, we don't need uniswap.org, the domain to do Interesting. that. Here's a better question. What would it take for you to leave the friendly confines of the United States? Um, Well, first of all, uh, the proposed wealth tax only hit people above uh, a certain level of wealth. What if it hit your level? That would be uh, very... Can I sue based on idiocracy or very no? Very dissuasive. That would be okay. incredibly dissuasive. You'd, you'd want to leave. Like That would make you be like, hey, maybe somewhere else. I don't know. Like, are, are we answering the wealth tax question? Maybe. I don't know. I'm, I'm just asking, like, would the you The Elizabeth leave? Warren question. I mean, you guys asked me, uh, you know, under what circumstances, and I'm just basically throwing it back to you, like, what would make you leave? I don't, I, I don't know. Like, I mean, her, from, her whole stance was that no one would leave. Yeah. No, that's wrong. That's wrong. That's wrong. I mean, people leave California. Um, people leave California today. Yeah. yeah daily. Yeah, I mean, what would make I mean, me... I mean, I personally would leave if there was virtually any punishing tax implications or anything put on crypto beyond what exists today. Right, but we have a, a you know, like whatever, I, X I have, non-nominal uh, percent of our net worth in crypto. So, like... But, yeah, I mean, I have more so net only worth in crypto. Non-nominal? Non-nominal. Typical, but, like, yeah, I'm, like, I'm, I'm already at, like, the... <laughs> like I already like can't trade derivatives. I already have a shitty tax policy. I already live in a state that like completely just reams me. Like I'm already like on the fence, you know. Um, so it wouldn't it wouldn't take much. To so you're gonna sell us your house because I'm down with that. Yeah, I mean, I mean Elon will take it. Awesome, yeah. <laughs> so Elon's gonna buy your house. Elon will just Elon eat that shit up. Elon doesn't fuck about this house. Yeah, he does. <laughs> Elon would love this house. Look at that view. Look at that view. Elon, we, we've talked a lot about money. Cereal. I feel like we dabbled last time in politics. I feel like we should like throw some bets down. Last time we threw some bets down on, I think it was elections. And we Where talked about our outcomes at, of well, our bets okay. on elections. I, I, I say a lot of people say Biden has no time left. <laughs> no, He's still seriously. asleep, by the way. No, seriously. I think he'll get through it. The, uh, the Republicans are going to uh, snatch defeat from the jaws of victory, I think. The next uh, next year's midterms. So, if the Republicans actually win, which I think they will, I don't think they will anymore. If they do, it's only going to cause more disruption toward this ideological war, in my opinion. Like, I actually think it's only going to get worse. I want I want odds. Can I get odds on on China invading Taiwan? And then I want I want separate odds on U.S. boots on the ground in Taiwan. Oh, someone give me odds. You think we might have boots on? Oh, the so, ground? sorry, sorry. We should probably put a time frame within the next ten years. China will try to make a move on Taiwan, and then we'll have to intervene. Ninety-six percent probability, yes. Oh fuck! I need better odds. Can than I that. ask you? Um, yeah. And this is going to sound maybe stupid to a lot of people. Why do we give a fuck about? 
China invading Taiwan. Oh, I mean, for 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 mul- for multiple reasons. Let's just get to like pure economic. Yeah. One is like semiconductors, like supply chain. Yeah, our whole semiconductor supply chain bases on this like company. You know, TSMC. Exactly. Exactly. They only have the manufacturing capability, technology, and capacity to produce the semiconductors we need for our computers, our phones, and those electric cars you like that they drive themselves. Those are needed in order to further further our economy. They actually don't drive themselves. And like when we hear about like, oh, Intel is investing, you know, so many billions of dollars and Google is going to create their own chip for billions of dollars. But really what they're saying is that we're going to design their own chip but Taiwan Semiconductor is going to actually manufacture those. So, like, I think China realizes, you know, let's let's like, like move aside all the historical implications of like Taiwan, but they realize that this is like a linchpin for the U- United States economy. So it's going to be a war over TSMC. It, it will be one aspect. The second aspect will be like we have security partnerships with Japan and other people in Southeast Asia, and if we we have this. Uh, uh, proclaim policy of like strategic ambiguity re- regarding Taiwan. Like we we strategically will not say whether we will actually come to their defense or not. Wow. You know, as like a game theory play, right? But like, if you're Japan and the United States is backing your security, they, there's there's a there's a treaty regarding that. Like, and if they don't come to back Taiwan, like, I think you kind of uh, you hurt your whole dynamic in Southeast Asia, but also your European partners who rely on your security. So like, I think for, for those two reasons alone, like you for economic security, but also like your alliances, which again are this mousetrap system for bad actors. Like if they misstep the mousetrap system, you know, catches and the United States is there to like back up, you know, any bad actors, like those two reasons are why you, ha- you have to put, boots on the ground but like let's be clear like china is positioning their economy for for war they're already doing like war exercises mm. in in you know in that area they're Just like practical so unclear i'm of the understanding that taiwan doesn't have like this rich abundant uh sea of silica like, like um mm-hmm. it's not because like taiwan is uh, geographically located on top of a bed of silica, right? Like, no, but China controls ninety percent of silica. Yeah, and graphite, seventy percent of lithium, uh, most of nickel. Because they've already they bought all the mines land. in Congo, all over everywhere. They're purposely trying to control the supply chain. Yeah, I mean, if, if you're preparing for war, you're going to look at like, okay, what are the supply chains we have that are. De- dependent on other countries and how can we shore those up and like china takes like a 50 year 100 year plan but like xi jinping is i think like recapturing taiwan would be like the crown to his like legacy if he could able to do that that would be like his like legacy living on for centuries and so they're already doing military exercises where they take ships and move them towards Taiwan. They're obviously not going to attack, but like it's a series of like, imagine a series of fakes, right? Series of fakes, like hundreds and thousands of fakes where they look like they're moving towards Taiwan where we kind of get lulled in. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Anyway, game game theory, me, Uh, game theory, me that they do take it over and they already own 90% of, XYZ uh, and Taiwan is now under Chinese rule. 
uh, what we're at war. Okay, yeah. So we're at war. Uh, I mean, what are the alternatives? Like, okay, so well, it's not. I don't think it's a hundred percent certain that they would win because we have the Japanese Navy on our side. We also have like the U.S. Navy on our side, and like, ja- you know, Chinese would have to like literally do like a D-Day, like literally push boats onto this island and then also airdrop human beings like on the island to like take over. Um, and I, I, you know, like if the U S Navy could get in there in time, but also the Japanese Navy could be involved. Like I don't necessarily know that they would take over, but like, I think that their attempt is like highly probable, but like you're saying if they do capture it, what is the play? I suppose like the first question would be like, in the line of game theory, you know, game theory is like just a series of logical uh, responses. So it's like, uh, so they try, what's our play? Uh, so they get it, what's our response? I mean, if we were smart, like the investments we make in our infrastructure not only include like roads and bridges, but also includes like semiconductor production. But let's be clear, like, you know, Taiwan Semiconductor is like, you know, like five years ahead of us. They're like an order of magnitude ahead of us in like, uh, technology advancement and the manufacturing capabilities. So, like, there might be, I mean, like, we would go to war over the fact that, like, we cannot produce the semiconductors we need for, like, our iPhones or our laptops or, the, like, the electrical cars. I don't know if Biden would ever go to Well, war. so, like, that's why, like, now is, like, a particularly vulnerable moment where, like, when you have a president, regardless of who it is, when they're vulnerable mm-hmm. politically at mm-hmm. home, they have less of ability to say... I'm surprised we are not more vulnerable than we've been. I mean, going yeah. to war over resources is not a new phenomenon. No. Um, yeah. I'm not, like, poo-pooing the... The situation. I'm, I'm trying, but anyway, I want I'm odds. To understand it. I'm I want to odds. Well, I'm trying to understand the, the stakes. <laughs> Gambler. Yeah, no, no, no. I thought over the golf course we talked about that it was improbable, and I want like improbable odds. No, I think it's, it's it seems inevitable. God damn it! Does it really seem inevitable to you? Inevitable to me. Yeah. yeah Obviously, like strategic. <laughs> you it's, that, it's just because there's a shortage it doesn't it doesn't take a genius to look at the united states and realize that there's like no political appetite in the country to go to war right the country mm-hmm. is just sort of like at war with itself we just left afghanistan it's a giant swath of the american public that thinks war is bad and should never be used under any circumstances and it's like it's it's understandable why they think that given what we've done in recent times but also there is this sort of reality that it is sometimes necessary under some circumstances right but like uh the world has also experienced what it feels like to uh awaken the sleeping giant like but i don't think like china taking some semiconductors is going to be the thing that yeah because i I don't think anyone understands it 9-11 type event i don't think it's going to be tangible enough to in in what way a hard sell to people who are fighting at home about like a million other things right, but but hypothetically what if your your iphone you know turns to two thousand dollars and your electric car turns to like sixty thousand dollars to thirty thousand dollars like well i think if i'm in china like i'm probably not going to do that i'm probably going to keep all of the americans like in check and give them their cheap goods and i just want control right i just want to have that interesting power, you know? but like the, the hundred make... year game or something not the uh not the china is very good at playing the, the long game you know they're not going to take Taiwan just to jack up iPhone costs. I don't, I don't think. They would still export the technology. You're saying? 
Yeah, I, I, I think so. I, I but think w- so. what if what if you have I don't know how what the population is Taiwan, but like they clearly have that like another you know clearly the, the population does not want to be like under the control of China. So like I don't know what the population is, but like whatever you know you have like a nation state taking over another nation state that doesn't want it. Does the United States if if they're you know, have security treaties with other people in the region, other countries in the region, do they have to come to the defense of that country? What a wonderful question. It's a fascinating combo because (laughs) I I mean, hold on. Uh, My thought is like Taiwan doesn't control shit. Like Taiwan has the factories. Like factories can exist anywhere. You're thinking of this in too narrow terms, though, right? It's not just like we have to build a building. Like there's a certain amount of like knowledge, right, that comes with this, right? There's. It's not like it's just like anybody can mass produce top-notch semiconductors. If that was the case, there'd probably be a lot more areas of the world like mass producing like cost-efficient semiconductors, right? So it's not just about building a building and acquiring like the raw materials. I think. There's more that goes into that. And even if it was just about building the building and acquiring the raw materials, you'd still be looking at like a multi-year lead time, which is, which would wreak havoc, you know, in the, in the economy, if that were the case. So I guess back to Nick's question. Not not a great situation. Odds boost on the ground. Uh, U.S. troops boost on the ground, Taiwan. Yeah. I mean, like the United States, like kind of like world order, of like, hey, we have this like positive value set. We have these like set of norms that we like the world governed by. Like, and this has brought us like almost a hundred years of peace. Hmm. Like, is it worth putting boots on the ground to defend that, you know, concept of where like, hey, listen, you know, uh, we're going to contribute blood and treasure towards, you know, defending this world where like we want to push down any authoritarian. So I won't, I won't bet you, but I will set the odds. I'll, I'll like play the odds maker, and I'll say uh, three to one odds. Three, three to one odds, <laughs> as in like uh, in 25% of the scenario, China invades Taiwan, and we put boots on the ground. Is that what you're saying? Within the next 10 years, we have U.S. troops in Taiwan. Yeah. I mean, like most people don't think that like, that will happen at all because like they don't think like, China is that stupid to like you know obviously like our countries depend on I each other was, they yeah. buy our debt we buy their goods like I mean it's pretty simple like you know structure we have but like I feel like they have a different system which they're operating by and like yeah I mean I don't know I, I think uh, well I'm not going to come to you guys for my bets because I think there's someone else give me better odds well I mean you can bet me like, that's terrible I want like I want 21 I think there's someone who would give 21 odds, 5% chance China invades Taiwan in the next 10 years. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we're talking like two and a half presidents, but we're also talking about one dictator in China who like wants to finish off his legacy. Yeah, he could live 10 years. He's obviously going to be in rule for the rest of his life. I mean, Trump is coming back. If he comes back, you know, you know, in game theory, by the way, in game theory, Game theory really? relies who's, who's on. Who's coming back? Who's coming back? Yeah, who's uh, who's winning in? Uh, Desantis, Tom Cotton will come back, but like, you know, real quick, like 
uh, game theory relies on rational actors. So like Absolutely. the one good thing that like Trump provides, like, you know, most people will view him as an irrational actor. They so like do. the whole game theory yeah. gets turned up on its head because like there, when you have an irrational actor at play. His whole you, approach. Yeah. yeah, that was not a meme. That was a legitimate. No, it really was. Yeah. I would call it unintentional, yeah, but regardless, know. we still don't know. Yeah, that's a testament to the 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 brilliance. Yeah, the brilliance. Yeah, I think some people generous? would really say that's generous. Yeah, I mean, if the guy was if the guy was brilliant towards his China strategy, like he was the first president to call out that China was like a threat, like he would have taken a different tactic. Like his tariffs on China, like penalized companies in the U.S which wasn't smart like he kind of like eradicated some of the like partnerships which we needed in order to like you know push a like united front on china to say hey if you violate these things we have this like economic mousetrap like sets off and like you get punished economically from like europe southeast asia australia etc and so, like, I think his, like, original viewpoint was, but I don't know if brilliance in his strategy no, is what we would call it. I, I think brilliance is way too far. <laughs> I, 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 I think... Remarkable, yeah, remarkable is a good one. Remarkable Remarkable is, remarkable is one of those Best words ever. that... Trump was a remarkable <laughs> president. Let's just leave it. Yeah. Remarkable. <laughs> remarkable is one of those world, words that really encompasses that man. Biden's that, Oh God! By the way, that's uh, the problem with that way, word. Uh, you know, that's like on a, on a foreign <laughs> policy on a foreign policy front, like Biden is like just completely failing. Like he, you know, Trump. In every way, Trump whatsoever. was the one who created this like new foreign policy that was like, what the fuck is this? But like Biden could be the one to actually normalize it, like on on so many fronts, like in terms of our relationships with other countries like different policies towards other countries. Like he's just kind of like not taking that much drastic action and he could actually be the president. His legacy is like normalizing Trump's foreign policy, which I don't think he, he fully appreciates think, right now. How do you think Biden is normalizing Trump? Well, what is he no, doing he differently? Could. Like what is his, well, what is his foreign But like that, that was actually Trump's policy. Let's pull out of Afghanistan. No, he backed off on that. All right. Well, let, let, let's take that aside. Like, how is 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 Biden's approach to China any different? And even to European partners, like on the front of tariffs, like he hasn't taken off tariffs with Canada and Europe and China. In fact, they're actually tougher now because Biden let these like um, things that were supposed to expire, and like he he let certain things expire, which made the the sanctions and and tariffs even tougher. So like he's taking this like a uh, approach that is actually just continuing you know trump's like foreign policy which i don't think he he wants to but i'm just like curious like what the I, I what is going on the point of foreign policy has been iran and he's like complete opposite on it you know i think there are other things that are important but like i also think he's he's certainly more dovish on china than than trump was i, I at least by rhetoric. For sure. yeah. <laughs> at, least by, uh, at least by rhetoric. He's, he's obviously more cozy with the, the allies, which, you know, is maybe good in some ways. He says verbally, like he says verbally, but I don't think in his actions he, he necessarily is. Like, I, I think Biden, I don't know, Biden to me seems like he's gotten like pretty much everything wrong on foreign policy for the entirety of his career in public office, which is pretty remarkable given how long he's been there and how many foreign policy decisions he's been involved with. Um, 
I'm curious to see how Afghanistan ends up playing out in the long run. That is oh, China, China's going to like, re, for, first of all, the head of the sure. Taliban said like, our future partner in this is China. And China's I mean, like, we, we, hey, we listen, we don't. Exactly, exactly. Like China's going to look at this as like, cool, we'll partner with you for all the rare earth elements that Afghanistan has. But like, it's crazy to me that like China pushes down this Uyghur like population that's Muslim, right? And like, you know, no part of the Taliban leadership is like, why would we unite with like a government that like pushes down like a Muslim community, like proactively? Well, that's not too strange to me. I mean, there are multiple factions within the Muslim community that like actively hate. But it shows that like Taliban is not after like this religious superiority. They're after like power in general, which is like, you know, crazy. But regardless, they are saying that like our partner going forward will be China. And like, that is one nation state of a few Hmm. that are starting to say that like, we're going to align with this like Eastern power. And that's not good. Like that's not good at all. And like, it's terrible. Yeah. I mean, this, this kind of gets to the point I was talking about earlier where there's like no appetite for any sort of war military invention intervention in the, in the U S right now. And like, I don't don't know, I I could be off on this, but when I looked at Afghanistan, I mean, we, we had what, like 2000, troops there and i think like we had one military casualty in like the prior year so it didn't seem like we were it's spending very, a lot of it's a very crass comment but a very economical use of of funds to like you know hold down a territory i mean i don't think it's crass i mean it's how the military is used you know and it's how public policy is made you 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 have to make these crass decisions typically with like human life on the line and trade-offs and everything is like not clean and pretty um but it's not like we were and of of course there were ongoing civilian casualties and the like but i mean that's going to happen throughout the world uh, unfortunately um but it seems like we were not expending a whole lot of money in American life at this point after a couple of decades of that, right? And then, I don't know, it feels kind of weird that we just left after all of that, went back to ground zero and just gave it all to China. Like, it, again, it's not like we were spending a trillion dollars a year there and losing an American life like every day, you know? So I, I like, I wonder at what point, like, the trade-off is worth it to sit like, like if we had to keep 500 troops there and lost one American life every 10 years, like, would we stay there? Yeah. Like, you know, keep control of that. What, I mean, it's an did, important area. Of the does world anyone know what rare earth elements exist in Afghanistan? Like I know there are a lot, but like, lithium, I, I, right? yeah, I assume it's like battery related. Like <laughs> lithium is like pretty important, uh, pretty important. I mean, Cosimo de Medici you know? knows a lot about like, uh, <laughs> you know, oh. the, the impacts of like, you know, rare earth elements on our battery supply chain. Like, um, I don't know. Like, I think it was like a, a strategic error, but we're, we're more vulnerable. And I feel like, you know, a president, one thing he should do is like, if you're in charge of a company and you are producing a certain amount of goods, like you have to like, having zero points of like single failure for your supply chain. Like you just can't have that. And like, we have, I think several points of sing- single points of failure with our battery supply chain, at least. And I don't know, make hopefully like technology, like outpaces that type of Is there a supply chain. We're putting we- a lot of faith in um, Papa Elon's idea that we were going to mine asteroids. 
Is that a possibility? We're going to mine asteroids for rare earth elements, perhaps elements we've never even heard of. Is that on anyone's radar? No. I don't think they're going to be elements we've never heard of. No, Papa period. Papa Elon. <laughs> I think Papa Elon is the savior of humanity. Can we start off this debate? Because I know it's waiting to be had. Like, uh... You know that I'm trolling you when I make a comment like that. But at the same time, <laughs> I just want to want to go there. All right. All right. So you, you are clearly uh, uh, setting the... The, the ground floor for that conversation. Do you want me to say it? Elon is overrated. He's, oh, God. That's dang. You know what? Is, the reality is, like, the co- the conversation would start there, <laughs> and the conversation will probably end there. The reality is, he is overrated. Like, I actually can't right, disagree. You. I'm going to go. Yeah. No. Like, you're done. <laughs> That's like, it. Like, the it's point over. is... You're actually done. The point that he... That, He's overrated. That he's overrated is fine. It's fine. It's whatever point you're saying before is not. All right. But right, the arguments you have as to the reason why he's overrated are so hyperbolic and rational that it, it just it, it removes the whole like the argument's gone. Do, do you want Elon on your team or not? Do, it, like if we were I, still in 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 like opposition with like Elon Nazi Germany, would you want Elon? In Nazi Germany's technology hands, or would you Elon want Elon Musk on the United is, States? Is human being player one? <laughs> player one. <laughs> Who are you gonna pick? I'm gonna pick Team Elon. Captain? Yeah. Yeah. How would you? How would you? Who would you pick as as technology so, player? Your captain. So, of- so Stephen, you have this argument that, and I think it's like a wonderful argument. The argument is that. There is a plethora of people that are more interesting, intelligent, and profound in their discoveries than Elon Musk. I agree with that. None of them are recognizable in pop culture. Elon Musk is profound at making himself recognizable in pop culture. That is either a skill or a con. We're going to go to war with China in a pop culture <laughs> contest? No, that's a whole different. <laughs> so that's a whole different. One, like during wartime, who's your pick? Who's like, your what, pick? what do you mean? To d- develop asymmetric like weaponry? Just to win. To win. You need asymmetric weaponry. Wait, who's my pick during wartime? Well, you said that Elon is, is like a first round pick. Oh. Okay, no, first round pick, I, I did not know it was wartime, but I guess I should assume that all time is wartime. Let's say, assume is it's economic wartime. We're like, just in general, like, forget that we're actually going to. Look, gonna, I'm like, just saying, like, you're the Chicago Bulls. You're choosing your team. <laughs> yeah, it's your first round pick. Is Elon. Steven's putting him in, in the 19th round where it probably totally Tom is. Brady was picked, by the way. No, he told, yeah. And he was. He was like a sixth <laughs> round pick. So the point is. You can like, find value down there. You can. You can totally find value. I, I I believe that that man is not a god, not somebody that should be revered, um, not somebody that should be... This is a weird debate so far. No, no, it's actually a wonderful debate. I'm glad Vitalik is uh, 
Yeah. Yes, I'm, dra- I'm drafting. Are you Vitalik drafting Buren Vitalik first. over Elon? Yes. The guy who can launch okay. rockets okay, into space and back down. You're gonna pick. All I'm saying is, I'm glad Vitalik is like Western sensible. <laughs> I'm glad. Are you sure he is? Yes. Okay. I see a lot of videos of Vitalik in Russia. I mean, he's he's Russian. Yeah, Russian uh, descent. Canadian. Canadian Wait, born. Russian Vitalik is Canadian. Ethnicity. He's Russian as well, but he's Canadian. Okay, okay. But he's like he's a <laughs> Western. By the way, so are Crimeans. They're they're ethnic Russians, but you know yeah. they got they're now part of Russia. So I'm just saying, like, that, if you're yeah, totally. Sure right. Point point being, Elon's an alien. Stephen doesn't like him because <laughs> he went down the wrong YouTube rabbit hole, <laughs> and I actually no, no look, I'm giving you a hard time. I went down the same rabbit hole. I watched the same videos. All the things I told you were true. I, I think that They're literally a lot of the things factual. that you told. I think that a lot of the things that you told me are true. I don't think that all the things that you told. So me are I think true we should let Stephen. The things that you. Okay, so most of the things that Stephen told me. Solar City thing. Solar City, PayPal, Tesla, and and boring, and and SpaceX. You have to go through. Okay. Ventilator is true. Tyler, I'm going to make one Dave point and then you can true. make that point. PayPal, true. Okay. Original Tesla founding thing. True. There's, there's one really important thing true. that we're not talking about. The ability as an entrepreneur to step up and lay out a North Star that is excruciatingly difficult for people to step into and create and actually execute on is wild. Like... Elon is unbelievable for that reason, and you're discounting that. You're 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 sitting there like 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 discounting that. He's and discounting I, I the god. Think, I'm the not God-like. discounting that. I think he's less smart than people think he is. I think he's actually himself accomplished less on the technical side than people think he has, and I think the vast majority of of his ideas are complete vaporware and will never come into existence. Which, All right, so define <laughs> define what vaporware looks like. Vaporware is saying that you're going to build a hyperloop connecting cities and you're going to build a test one, test one under uh, Las Vegas and instead of building the hyperloop, you build a tunnel that somebody manually drives a Tesla Model 3 through at 120th the efficiency of a, a subway station. That's vaporware. In V1. But what about V10? Oh, yeah, sorry. That was just V1. It was a hundred. I'm just saying, like, you know, like, thing, obviously, you know? a, a well, we'll good visionary. We'll, we'll do like a, a good, a good visionary puts out a vision, and, you know, it might not be V1 that gets us there, but it might be like V7. That, also, the that, Hyperloop wasn't his idea. That was a thing. Right. And, and, and you make the case of like, well, there was like seven ago. people involved in yeah. general in, 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 the, in the current company. Let alone like the original. No, I mean like somebody wrote a whole thing on it like in like 1930 or something and he just sort of like ripped it. But but like his promotion of it is what... Like reasons it's not possible via like laws of physics and stuff. What do you mean? The whole vacuum idea? Like throw a tube in a vacuum? Yeah. That's not possible? No, don't they have like uh, prototypes live? No? I mean like I thought the whole... It's very vapor. Very vapor? 
very vapor. You're telling me the whole thing is 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 it's very vapory. It's just like sort of classic. And you can call it like, okay, he's being a visionary. He's being aspirational. He's daring us to dream. He's throwing impossible dreams out there. You know, it's just like, but like, at what line is it just like he's being a huckster, you know? Like the, the shingles on the solar city roof, these shingles will take in enough energy to power this house and you can't even tell this house has these shingles the on rocket them. you know why because they're down. regular shingles oh and by the way we acquired this company to bail out me and my brother's debt and the rocket goes and look lands back down. look as it okay, okay. The rocket's cool i'm, the rocket's I'm, cool. I'm, I'm, I'm gonna say something it has you guys are brilliant what the fuck the idea that you can be an entrepreneur and Insert these, inject these ideas into the universe and raise money, build teams, build companies. And some of those ideas come to fruition and some of those ideas do not. But the fact that you can actually get to a point where you uh, revolutionize peer-to-peer uh, -peer payments where you revolutionize the way we Elon think no revolutionize peer to peer payments stop <sighs> it this is the this, this is, is my point <laughs> like you're attributing all this stuff to him that he doesn't deserve there's plenty of stuff he does deserve but this like okay okay tell us tell us what he deserves things, tell us know? what he deserves tell he us deserves he credit for single-handedly willing the Tesla stock price of the moon <laughs> through his Twitter game. He deserves credit for seemingly attracting a lot of good engineering talent, even though a lot of them leave like, immediately, but like he's able to keep that revolving door going, and those people are able to build some good stuff like there, right? But like, don't you want to invest in that guy? Like, I want to invest in I that don't guy. I don't want to invest in Tesla, no. I think it's like... Probably a house of cards, and I totally admit I could be wrong about that, but I, I don't. I mean, no one, no one there. enjoyed working for Steve Jobs. But the likely. car is Nobody. good. The car is good. The, the car's car good, but like he didn't even make the car. The car was conceived of and designed by like other guys. No, no, no hold on. The car has come a long way like since the, the original Jobs conception. Like You're talking about a prototype. That's the Steve Jobs. Like Steve Jobs the didn't make the first car was the sick fucking roadster that went zero to sixty in like one point four seconds. <laughs> right. That was pretty cool. Right. And it's come it a long way since. Zero to sixty in one now. That was a prototype. That was mm. a concept. No, it, they sold it. You could buy it. They made it. They manufactured it. It existed. But like, I've been promised self driving trucks and uh, self driving cars that were going to be on the road driving themselves I'll, as of three I'll, years ago. And like, I'll be, I'll be like, honest, I've been waiting for my truck. I've been waiting for my truck. Did you deposit on the Cybertruck? Oh, yeah. I'm not talking about the Cybertruck. I'm talking about the. the I'm talking about the car is the, the big rigs and everything. This fall. Yeah. Yeah. And also, like, his, his, his meme game is shit. His Twitter meme game is, is, is graded on a curve. His Wait, memes are terrible. What do you mean? <laughs> his memes People are, are just like, oh my God, Elon posted a meme. Clap like seals. His memes are awful. He like repost like boomer memes from six months ago. Oh my God. Like, oh my boomer God, memes? Elon. Tar and feather. Oh, so the, the guy's a builder. <laughs> the guy's a builder. I want builders on my team. Yeah. I feel like re regardless of like whatever entity we're talking about, like, you know, look, look, look at Theranos, like, the, the downside of like a leader taking, you know, the like the mythos 
of the entity. Like on the downside, Elizabeth Holmes, like, you know, purported herself to be the next Steve Jobs, but like on the downside, she 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 wasn't. And like, but there were probably other people who, you know, propagated the the lie. Elizabeth like, Holmes literally committed fraud. Right, right. But like on the other side, uh, what I'm saying is like people know that like the the lead person, the voice, the sale, the chief salesman is not the person who like creates the technology. They're not the people who Thank propagates you. the lie. Like there are other people. I think it's known that like the leader of a company is not the person who actually does like, to most rely on that argument person. Is that Elon is an unbelievable like PR guy and attractor of talent. Then like no, that's I, not I the agree. argument. I the totally argument is that 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 he is a phenomenal entrepreneur and CEO who can lay out a vision that people uh, feel incentivized to fulfill. Like that's really like who's the and actually that- that's shortchanging him. Because the reality is that he's in it for 18 hours a day. It's it's incredibly job 18 hours a day in it all the way with everybody to the point where, as I said earlier offline, when he talks about this industry, he's at the borderline of tears. Like, dude, I'm telling you right now, this is, hold on. This is, this is what I believe. And I'm, I'm going to be very point blank about it because I don't think there's any other way to get this point across. If Elon was at this table right now, if I was able to get him at this table right now, and he sat here right now and he told us his story, we would all be floored by it. We would all be floored by it. We would all believe. We would all understand it. We would all hear it. We would all witness it. His story about how he grew up in poverty in South Africa, but actually his dad was like a diamond mine. Stop being a fucking. You are full blown. Look, you're look, gone. I can you're hold. Gone. I can hold two things in my head at the same time. If Elon was sitting here right now, I would be in awe because he's obviously like a grand figure, and he's and obviously done you, crazy would things. Would you at least give simultaneously? Him the of the doubt to ask simultaneously, him? he's way more fraudy than people think he is, and he's not as much of a super genius as people think he is. All those things can be true at the same time. And do I think he's a net good for humanity? Yes, absolutely. Thank you. Absolutely. But he's also like 40% like huckster. Okay. And your point to build on that is that like that's something to care about. That like a operator of a publicly traded company that, you know, has a valuation that exceeds like a, a rational. Multiple. Yeah. I mean, he literally has a puppet in place running the company because he was like banned from being what chairman. So he's got a puppet in place that like, you know, like the whole thing, he's obviously doing things. That, and like, we cannot, we could admire this to some degree. We could be like he's pushing the limit, you know, he's just breaking rules. He's just, he's just pushing towards that vision and pushing humanity. And like, yeah, maybe that's, maybe that's true. Maybe, maybe it's true. Um, yeah. But, but I, net, just, net, I think we all agree. Net good. Net good. Okay. I want him working for, for the United I'm, States. I'm fine with net good. I just like when people are just like, oh my God, Elon, he's such a genius. So revolutionary. Would you, would you, would you bet anything else he does? He, he did all is, these things. And he is net good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he's net good. Yeah, he's net good. Look, the reality is that he took humanity to a place that it was not before. Where? Where? Space. Uh, I've shed tears over manufacturing bath bombs. Like I'm pretty sure he's like shed more than that to create a rocket or like a electric vehicle. Like regardless, you know, I, I had zero, zero 
you know, impact on like the formula of the bath bomb or like how it's made or the people who actually Correct. make them. Beautiful but, like, example. I, I shed tears over the fact that like it's fucking hard and it's incredibly stressful to like make a profit off that. And I feel like, you know, the same thing. We shouldn't expect him to be the chief salesperson and the chief engineer and the chief, you know, Dude, operator. You're hitting it. Dude, you're hitting it like 100%. <laughs> there's, there's, you're, like, you're Look, I'm just it. saying, like, I'm not going to hand wave away all of the fraudulent stuff, you know? I can look at that and be like, that's good. And I can look at that and be like, that's fraudulent and kind of fucked up. And we should take that into account when thinking about you, you know? Fact. I, yeah, you, you know more about that than we do. Like, the Solar City fraud is so bad, in my opinion. It's like criminal. Guys, if I own a publicly traded company, do I, would I think totally we should buy your failing jail? private company? No. Like, I'd rather we just let them keep. Trying to build the cars thing and save I, the thing I, but the like, thing I, also it was, it was the kind thing of fun, I, the know? thing I if worry I about a is like trade company I would totally buy your feeling private company how how easy it is this is this is the thing it's like you can be so great and yet be so um, like in the uh, like 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 the aim of so many people like so many people want to take you down and say you're not good enough. For so many little reasons. Yeah, I mean, the cancel culture, he's pretty cancel-proof. Like, Is he? I don't know. Is he? He's I mean, the richest I guess, man in the world. I hope he's cancel-proof. Right, but like, I mean, like, for someone who's under so much scrutiny, like, you know, he's withhold so many of the, like, uh, criteria which we withhold for, like, even, like, B-level celebrities. And, like, you know, compared I mean, to the value... Compared to the value that he provides versus B-level celebrities, you know, pretty damn good for contribution versus, you know, whatever people cancel people about. They're like C-minus in Christian conduct in the third grade. I mean, I, I hear your point that like uh, we shouldn't view him as a god in all yeah, things. Yeah, I mean, I guess this point isn't that interesting because it's so nuanced and it's not, like, very hard line. Like, I think Elon sucks because I, I, don't, I don't think he sucks. But, like, I, I think people, like, overlook a lot of bad things about him. A lot of very bad... I think that's people fair. People are willing to the look point, the other way the point they is very, have this, like, the, savior. The, the you know, point, the point is this. Um, don't idolize anybody. And make sure to pay attention to the nuances of what makes them human. And... Um, like realize that even our greatest like saviors of humanity aren't perfect. And I get that. But the point that I think that is very important about Elon is that he has sacrificed himself and his body and his life, bless you, to move humanity forward. I believe that. I see that. I watched this guy basically sacrifice his entire being, his entire life, his relationships. He could sit home on his yacht and just be a good father and a good husband, but he doesn't choose to. He chooses to be a good entrepreneur. He also literally can't because his net worth will go to zero because it's all in Tesla stock. So, you know. Think about, think, about, think about what I'm saying. Like, he could choose to have half the Tesla stock that he has. Like, and he would be okay. You know, if Elon leaves Tesla, the stock goes to zero. You're making it sound Elon like he's out of. Stock. You're making it sound like he's out of. Kathy Woods is a Tesla stock. Let's be honest. Yeah, let's get. Yeah, Kathy like Wood. Kathy Wood has a great say in how Look, Tesla if, goes. If Kathy Wood believes in Elon, I, you know, I kind of have to, kind of have to defer to 
Kathy I mean, Wood. of all pumpers, she's the best you know, pumper. Kathy Woods. I mean, she gets on as soon as the stock goes down. I mean, she just gets on CNBC and just corrects everyone anyway, straight up. Let's wrap with where things are going. Okay, where things are going is this is twenty twenty one, and we are in the version of the Roaring Twenties. Wait, what year are we in right now? Twenty twenty one, right? Right. Right. It's the, yeah. roar, it's the Roaring Twenties. It's the Roaring Twenties. Like, their house. in the in the 1920s, they just overcame the Great Depression. And, like, everyone, you know, there was, like, a time of wealth and extravagance. And, like, mm. I think this is a time of wealth, not necessarily extravagance. But, like, mm-hmm. this is the time of making money. Like, homes are going up. Stocks are going up. You know, meme stocks are going up. Stupid little JPEGs are going up. Crypto is going up. Like this is the time to make money. This is the a time of like asset appreciation. It's kind of more and like gamesy though, isn't it? It it is in the sense that like, like only a few people are making money. Well, in the sense that like you are either on the side of you have your money in assets, or you are trading your time for money. And like I think the biggest message that could take from this is like you need even if it's a dollar to get your dollar into assets, whether that's equities or crypto or any or a house we're not talking cars we're not talking you know any other like you know consumable good you have to be on the side of assets and like this decade or maybe if 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 cycles are 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 shrinking you know like for the next few years you need to be on the side of assets and that's you know i think that's where where we leave is that that's where the the context, the framework we're working within is wow. that we are in a, a roaring twenties scenario, post, you know, self inflicted recession. Of, right, some kind of. And recession. it's time. It's time yeah. to like switch to to assets. I mean, we're in the end game for sure. The obviously. end game of what? Oh, a lot of things. Um, financially, for certain, right? Like we're just trying to keep the music playing at this point, but like everything is unsustainable and the the plane's going to crash and everybody's trying to like bring it down in some soft landing where we sort of like inflate everybody's net worth away yeah but we do in a way where they don't really notice and then we airdrop some like government like ubi on top of them or something you're right everyone thinks they're being rich before the collapse yeah well i'm not necessarily convinced that we're going to have like a collapse um you know, the same thing doesn't usually happen twice in financial markets because people learn from the thing that immediately happened. And the thing that happens is usually something that people didn't really predict. I think it's like obviously really fashionable to say that there's going to be some sort of collapse. And obviously the risk in the system is there of a collapse, right? Like the, the, the entire financial system is just like inflated to the to, to the moon, right? And just the slightest like prick of the debt bubble and everything just will come crashing down all the after prices and everything. Ever Grande or whatever was going to be uh, the pinprick that like pop pop this bubble. Kyle Bastet probably did. But I mean like not really. I don't think it's the effect that like that company will have on the global economic system. It's like what happened preceding that that created that you know collapse is what the bigger question is like. Yeah, I mean I, I I'm also not like, I'm not sure that they, the, the, the fed can't just, just buy everything on the planet at this point and just keep everything afloat. Um, you know. I'm okay with that. Cause like, you know, a certain portion of my assets are, you know, uh, fed 
aligned and certain per, you know portion of assets are, are not fed aligned so like i'm okay with that like if they if they succeed then some of the assets go up and if they fail some of the assets go up even more and that's what everyone should be like you know allocating towards yeah i mean it's a really bad time out there for anybody who just sort of like owns cash or bonds and just doesn't do anything else you're you're, you're probably screwed yeah uh, <laughs> uh two, probably, two things to throw in, in th- throw into the hopper before we end is like uh one did anyone look at the met gala and be like whoa we're in actual hunger that games was so hunger games like weird. real hunger games and second when did you, steven said it i was like wait what are you what are you, what are you talking about did you did you know yet. i hadn't seen anything yet so i hadn't so, looked at and was i'm gonna photo. i was just like what is going on exhibitioning some art emoji mm. art at a art festival here locally but uh the next batch of emoji art i don't know if you know this but it includes a pregnant man. What? <laughs> I mean, really, part of the, your iPhone and Android will now include a pregnant man as an option. No, oh, it does. Okay. So anyway, no, uh, you can't just accept that. Where? Well, no, I, stop. I no, 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 stop. I have it. A, stop. I have a cat stop woman it. as an emoji. Why can't I have a pregnant man? No, no, you can't just accept that. I got a wizard. I got. You're a sure wizards Santa do not Claus. actually exist, and also pregnant men do not do not actually exist. Well, first of all, I'm a wizard. <laughs> I can't believe you're gonna get this podcast canceled like that. So I nice. just want to put it towards the end when I know no one is listening. To it. <laughs> Hold on. Fact: pregnant man. Available in all skin tones, will be debuting on your iPhone shortly. You're serious? <laughs> I'm dead serious. This is an emoji. Yeah, like imagine you you're the person. You're the person to review the submission. Minutes in, you're she, the person. With that. You're the person to review the submission, and you might get canceled if you cancel the submission, or you could just you know go the easy route and be like, yeah, sure, we should totally, you know. Based on equality, allow the pregnant man emoji. Anyway, either that what or the Met Gala could about? trigger you. But anyway, I I don't Met Gala is triggering. It's just oh sort of like God. a really nice window into what's happening in the world. You know? Yeah. It's a very like. Uh, it's been a lot of like kind of like you know rules for thee, but not for me for the last year and a half, and that was mm-hmm. just that on full display. It's, 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 it was kind of like a, it was, it was an early photo, you know, seeing all the, all the elites dressed up in their like outrageous tax the builders. costumes and their tax the rich dress. I think it was tax like, the builders. Yeah, behind them, you have all of the, uh, all of the, all of the peasant servants and their little masks, like serving everybody. Mm, yes. Oh yeah. The, did you see the thing with the uh, San Francisco mayor like this week no. too? No. Oh yeah, she went out to a club <laughs> in violation of her uh, mask mandate. Her own and, mandate. Uh, took yeah, took her mask off, and she was just like, you know, I was, I was feeling the spirit. Why is everybody getting all up in my up in my shit? That's a paraphrase. Um, but don't worry, like, tax the builders, and we'll be all right. You can actually buy merch. Wow, you can buy her. Why merch. do you keep saying tax the builders? Because that's what she, that's what she was saying. Tax the builders. She's saying tax the rich, but like. Uh, are you reinterpreting what she's saying i'm reinterpreting oh, so dropping a, i'm trying to like dropping yeah. like some neocon uh talking <laughs> point on top of it all right thank you that's what she's really saying tax the building i get into oh, a thing about trickle down economics while we're in it well 
I love you guys. All right. I think that's a good place to wrap. Fun time. This has been a phenomenal two hours. Sponsored by. And 28 minutes. Sponsored by McAllen. I think this is. And Casamigos. I think this is the long. Is this the longest tipsy talk ever? I have not had this much scotch in ever. I think it's a good place to wrap. Let's, 1.22 uh, a.m. Ending the. Let's close the way we finished. I love you guys. Cheers, Cheers. Cheers. Roaring 20s. Cheers. That was awesome. <laughs>